Welcome to Rex Factor! This time... Game of Thrones! With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello! Hello! And welcome to Rex Factor, where this week we are not reviewing all the Queen and Prince Consorts of England. I still expect you to say Kings and Queens there, but yeah, yep, Kings yep. and Queens of England. Um, we're having a, uh, a one-off little break, sidestepping, mm. mm. to do a special episode on Game of Thrones. Oh, I love it. For anyone not familiar with Game of Thrones, in essence, it's a fantasy drama series uh, based on a series of books with a wide range of characters where uh, a series of unfortunate events lead to different characters and peoples facing off against each other uh, in a bid either for vengeance or to take the throne. And meanwhile, ominously growing in the background is a concern about reports of strange and terrible creatures in the far north of the country. Now, it's set in a fictional world, but one which is distinctly medieval in feel and has been noted for its similarities to real-life historical events and characters. Mm. So we thought, as we both watch Game of Thrones Mm. and we like our history... yes. It would be fun to go through the story and draw out some of those comparisons with events or people from history that seem to have inspired Game of Thrones. If you're not a Game of Thrones fan and you're a regular Rex Factor listener, then fear not, because next week we will be back with the consorts, Elf Gifu of Shaftesbury. Ah. (laughs) I said that knowingly. (laughs) Ah, old Elf Yeah. Now, we're going to be focusing on uh, the TV series. So, in terms of... Spoilers and where we're up to at the moment. Can we? Do, yeah, right at the start of this show, we just need to say spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler <laughs> yeah. alert, spoiler alert. Just right out there because if you have any qualms that about this, listening to this, just don't mm. until you're right up to date. So at the time of recording, we have watched episode three of season eight, uh, the Long Night. Ali has literally just watched it, mm-hmm. literally mm. about ten minutes I, ago. I, finished. I was texting Graham as I knew he was on his way here saying where I was up to so he could see whether to <laughs> ring the door or not. Um, so this podcast is coming out after episode three. Yeah. But it will be released after episode four. Yes. So we don't know what happens in episode four, but potentially if you're listening to this when it comes out and watching Game of Thrones as it comes out, you will know more about what's going yeah. on than we do. So yeah. if there's anything massive that happens, then we don't reference it. Don't tell us. <laughs> yeah, don't tell us. <laughs> So in terms of the structure of this episode, as I said, we're going to be looking at Game of Thrones and some of the potential real-life historical influences, either Mm. conscious ones or just Mm. coincidental. Okay. So the way I'm going to do it in terms of structure is that we are effectively going to tell the story of Game of Thrones concisely. (laughs) Lovely. (laughs) Concisely, but we'll be going through in a vaguely chronological-ish order. We're not going to go with every single character, and we're going to focus more on what we've seen in the TV series rather than the books. Yeah. Because there is a lot more in the books than is in there? the TV series, oh. and there's some variants as well. We're not going to worry about that too much, but I think it would be helpful to start by having a little look at some backgroundy stuff in terms of the books, uh, the TV series, and some of the broader historical influences which are often cited in relation to Game of Thrones. Backgroundy stuff! So, Game of Thrones is based on the books by George R. R. Martin. And it's um, a series, like how The Lord of the Rings, there isn't a book 
called the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Unless you count them all as one. It's mm. three stories combined that mm. is Lord of the Rings. Game of Thrones is not called Game of Thrones as a cycle. It's actually called A Song of Ice and Fire. Oh. So Game of Thrones is the first book in the series. But I guess the showmakers obviously thought that that was quite a pretty decent encapsulation of the whole. Pithy. I yeah. like it. Written by George R.R. R. Martin. He's been a writer since the 70s and 80s. Apparently he started off with sort of sci-fi, vampire, horror. Had limited success in writing for TV. But then he returned to novel writing. And inspired by J.R. Tolkien of Lord of the Rings fame, turned to epic fantasy. Wow. For this series. So as I said, first book, Game of Thrones, published in 1996. Really? Sequels came out in 98, 2000, 2005, 2011. You can see a pattern of those getting slightly yeah, further apart. Yeah. So apparently he's still going to do another two books to finish it all off. So, And do, do you think he's got any obligation to follow the pattern of the TV show? Well, he's heavily involved in the TV series. He will presumably be aware and he will have told them key things of where it goes but it is quite a strange situation where uh normally it's annoying when you you've read the book and the film yeah. differs <laughs> and now the film's first and the book differs yeah or could differ yeah but yeah so the tv series uh hbo purchased the rights in 2007 they did a pilot in 2009 which apparently was really not very good at all really like it never got it's never been seen outside of private viewing so they made quite a lot of changes, quite a few cast changes and stuff. And then it got picked up, made it properly, and it was a massive, massive hit. So they must have seen something there, mm. rather than just dropping it. As I said, I'm going to go through sort of how the plot develops, but just as a very brief overarching summary mm. of the huge entirety of Game of Thrones. Essentially, it's the fallout from the death of King Robert Baratheon. So... He dies. Rumours around the legitimacy of his son and heir, Joffrey. Subsequent execution of old friend Ned Stark leads to a civil war with lots of different people vying for the throne. And we also have this growing, foreboding, ominous danger on the far north. The White Walkers. Mm. Monsters. Winter coming and all that. Mm. Now, in terms of his broad historical influences, the most commonly cited one is the Wars of the Roses. Yeah, lots of houses there. Yeah, so we've got York against Lancaster. It's sort of 15th century England, a mad king, and then this battle between the two Who's houses. Who's the mad king? Henry VI. Oh, of course, yeah. And yeah. this battle between the two houses, lots of infighting, lots of nobles being killed, mm. all vying for the throne. Mm. It's all quite chaotic. Mm-hmm. And, of course, with Game of Thrones, we have a mad king, a civil war, and a particular focus, certainly early on at least, between the houses of Stark, i.e. York, and the house of Lannister, or Lancaster. And Game of Thrones, of course, is notorious for killing off lots of its main characters. Mm. But if you compare it to Wars of the Roses, it's not actually that unusual. Something like 12 princes, around 50 senior nobles, four brothers of six out of the Percy family in one generation were killed God. in the space of four years. All four Bro- uh, Beaufort brothers in one generation killed wow. in the Wars of the Roses. Yeah. So there, it's it's sort of re- realistic fantasy in a way, Game of Thrones. Like people do die, people do get killed, even if they are important. I do like that about it, though. And like, uh, and that's what I do like about um, telly these days instead of film. In that each episode being about the length of a film, you've got mm. so much time to invest in characters that it's so much more powerful than they do die. Mm. Instead of just the protagonist you know will survive yeah. all the way through, but you actually you don't know who you're backing for mm. a load of these series. And yeah. 
you might all of a sudden they do die. It's and brilliant. you can get big names, but you don't know. Are they signed up for the whole thing? Or are they going to... Yeah. It's George R. R. Martin said, no matter how much I make up, there's stuff in history that's just as bad or worse. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a crazy thing. Um, but none of Game of Thrones is an exact representation of history. It's not meant to be an allegory. It's not that we can definitely say, oh, well, this is all just this. So if we're going to try and predict something, we can't say, well, this character is this person in history, and this is therefore the story arc. He's taking bits, mm. mixing them all up, mm. doing yeah. his own thing. So they won't necessarily die if they died in real life, but they, their mm. character might. Yeah. Have, yeah, okay. So that's a bit of background mm. for the early stuff with Game of Thrones. Now let's move towards the beginning. Targaryens! So the world of Game of Thrones will start fairly big and mm-hmm. then we'll centre in on people. It's divided into four continents. We've got Westeros, Essos, Sothorios and Ulthos. Most of the events take place on Westeros, which is 900 miles uh, east to west and about 3,000 miles north to south. So it's sort of similar in size to South America. Stretches from the snowy north to the more temperate south. But I only thought there were two islands. There was one where the... Um, uh, um, Essos is the one across the sea. Dragon Lady. Dragon Lady. And then there are a couple of other continents, but they don't really feature in the stories. Okay. Now, apparently medieval Britain is basically the main inspiration in terms of how the land is laid out key influence but he has acknowledged it's much 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 bigger than that and we've got a lot of variety we've got the influence of france a place called the reach where we've got um vineyards and all luscious and mm. green all that sort of thing moorish spain when they go to door oh yeah clearly yeah uh, paris is apparently meant to be the model for king's landing in the book but in the tv series it's much more sort of mediterranean yeah much feel. more yeah exactly much more Seville. Like Lord of the Rings, it's got an extensive sort of foundation legends and history. We've got the first men mm. who arrive on Westeros, the mainland, uh, 12,000 years before the current era. Mm. It's leaving a lot of room for a, a prequel, isn't it? Well, apparently, yeah, there is going to be a prequel. Oh. And it is going to be long, 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 long time ago. Um, attacks that they make on sacred trees lead to a war with the children of the forest. Yeah. Sort of magical pixie creatures, but they make peace with them. And then Westeros is divided into seven kingdoms. Why? Uh, well, just that's the way that it all ends up mm. happening. But that we will, of course, remember from our Anglo-Saxon period, the Heptarchy. Before the Anglo-Saxon England becomes England, we've got all these different kingdoms like Wessex, Mercia, oh, yeah. Northumberland, Essex, yeah. Kent, Essex. Anglia, and Cornwall. Mm. Seven. Blimey. That's... Mm. The same number. It is the same number. <laughs> uh, we then have people called the Andals, who are blonde-haired people from <gasps> no north of Essos. Angles. No Andals. But surely that's that's the sounds a bit similar. Yeah, blonde-haired. Mm. Mm. Oh, I'm seeing a pattern there. They conquer six of the kingdoms, though they don't conquer the north. So the north is always a bit independent. That is it. That's the Angles. And they just largely destroy the children of the forest. The Celts. Mm-hmm. Oh, Graham, I'm doing all the work. <laughs> here. I've got a. <laughs> In this period, we have Valyria, which is the world's greatest city, um, an epicenter of knowledge, culture, and technology. Valyrian steel, which you hear mentioned oh, yeah. a lot in the main series, um, is this incredible metal, far superior to anything that is currently about Mm. in Game of Thrones world. But then there was the Doom of Valyria, where the city and surrounding areas are destroyed in a natural disaster. All of the knowledge, the magic, history, and indeed how to make Valyrian steel is lost. Mm. Which puts us in mind, perhaps, of Atlantis, 
Oh, yeah. It's a legendary lost city with some kind of natural disaster. Yeah. Completely destroys it. Yeah. But also ancient Rome, if you think about this great city that's yeah. way ahead of its time and then all this technology that's gone. We don't call it the Dark Ages oh, anymore, yeah, yeah, post-Rome, yeah. but nevertheless, this sense of loss, this sense of civilization going backwards. Do we not call it the Dark Ages? No. Because we've now found that there's lots of illuminations and lovely writings and culture and stuff and jewellery and stuff. It's helpful though, isn't it? But in terms of what we're thinking about, yes, it takes a long time really yeah. for civilization to get back yeah. to where the Romans got things to. And indeed, apparently, there was, um, I don't know if you heard, Damascus Steel. It was developed in India before um, before the confusing. age of Christ. <laughs> well, yeah. Said to have had remarkable power and sharpness, but by about 1750, the technique's completely forgotten. Mm. No one knows how to, how mm. to do it. Blimey. So the Targaryen uh, house or dynasty, they, uh, they were from Valyria, but they survived the doom because they took notice of a prophecy and moved out. Good call. Very good call. Um, and they conquer Westeros um, under a chap called Aegon Targaryen, or Aegon the Conqueror, mm-hmm. as he was known. Conquered all of Westeros apart from Dawn, uh, with three dragons, his half-brother, Oris Baratheon, oh. and uh, his two sister wives. His sister wives? Yes, 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 yes. And he, establish- <laughs> <laughs> and he establishes the capital, King's Landing. Right. Now, this is a number of things here. Um, obviously, Aegon the Conqueror... That puts us in mind of William, William the Conqueror. <laughs> okay. Um, he, of course, conquered England. He was a Norman chap, conquered England in 1066. Um, great military leader was mm-hmm. William, as was Aegon. His only friend was his sort of bastard half-brother, Odo, which again, half-brother, Oris. Mm-hmm. We see with Aegon. Fearsome and ruthless, and both faithful to their wife, albeit uh, Aegon had two of them. He's loyal to both of them. Yes. <laughs> Um, okay. Sisters, because the Targaryens yeah. um, married their siblings in order to keep their dragon blood pure. So they yeah. married in the family. A little bit like the Egyptians, the Ptolemaic dynasty tended to marry within the family. So Cleopatra actually married two of her brothers. No. Yeah. Rex, fact. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and they had kids? Uh, I don't think she had kids with them. Okay. I think she murdered both of them. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> um, we notice most of the names in Game of Thrones and Westeros are, have a sort of Norman feel. Really? So you've got like Robert. Oh, yeah. Edward. Yeah. All these sorts of names. John? Uh, but that gives it, again, gives it a feel of this sort of period. You mm. hear those names, you're sort of put into that area. So we don't have lots of Saxon names, for example. Yeah. Which you might have done if that's an influence, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He went Norman. Now, the immediate period before Game of Thrones starts is under the rule of Eris, the Mad King. Yes, so I know where you're going with this. This is the sort of stuff that, for a while, put me off because I thought I'd missed an episode or two (laughs) when everyone was talking about things that there was an element of presumed knowledge that I didn't realise that everyone didn't know. He's the last Targaryen ruler. His reign starts quite well, but he slowly descends into madness, which ultimately leads to civil war and his own overthrow. Mm. Which, as we sort of mentioned a little bit earlier, very much redolent of Wars of the Roses time. We've got Charles VI of France, who is the grandfather of Henry VI, 
which is probably where he got his madness from. And oh, is he a glass man? He believed that he was made of glass Yeah. at one point, so it was feared that he would shatter. 1392, apparently he was riding along with his men, a knight dropped a lance, and he just suddenly flew into a frenzy and went around killing lots of his men before he was stopped and put away. What? He ends up having his daughter marry Henry V of England, and then Henry VI, Henry V's son, seems to inherit this problem. So Henry... The sixth is where we have the Wars of the Roses because he has various lapses where he has effectively mental breakdowns. Mm. And we've got divisions at court over who is actually going to dominate. And we get factionalism and this ultimately leads to civil war with Richard, Duke of York, who's got his own claim to the throne, thinking, well, I'd do a much better job than these here Lancastrians. Mm. I should be king. Ultimately, Henry VI was put to sleep, as you put it, Mm. on the podcast after sort of 16 years of uh, on and off again warfare. How was he put to sleep? Uh, with a sword. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. That I enjoyed that. <laughs> that was evil, wasn't it? <laughs> Getting to oh, Lannister mode. I do love the Lannisters. Well, we'll come to the Lannisters. Yeah. Uh, now, Eris has a son, Rhaegar, eldest son of Eris, dashing and very cultured heir to the kingdom. But he is the one that actually ends up provoking the war. Because there's this grand tourney, this tournament, where he is meant to crown his wife as the queen of love and beauty. This is part of this chivalrous Mm. demonstration. But instead, he rides past his wife and instead crowns a woman called Lyanna Stark of Winterfell. So Rhaegar then supposedly abducts Lyanna, Mm. goes off with her, and she had been betrothed to um, a man called Robert Baratheon. Mm. So the Starks object... So her brother Brandon and father Lord Rickard object to the mad king Eris, but being mad, he sees them, has them brutally executed along with lots of other people, and we see a revolt led by Robert Baratheon and Lyanna's brother Ned Stark. Mm. And this rebellion sees Robert kill Rhaegar, Eris the mad king is killed, and Robert Baratheon takes the throne. I thought Jamie Lannister... Killed him. Jamie Lannister kills Aerys the Mad King. Yeah. Robert kills his son Rhaegar. Ah, oh, okay, right, fine. So this will remind us, perhaps, of the Iliad. If we go right back in Western culture. Oh, yeah. Homer's epic begins with Paris abducting Helen of Troy mm-hmm. from oh, her yes. husband Menelaus, which starts the Trojan War. Yeah. And that's how Robert's Rebellion all starts off. All of the events go back to Rhaegar abducting Lyanna. Goodness me. And you asked about how the series is called A Song of Ice and Fire. Yeah. Now, in time of Homer, ancient Greece, they weren't writing things down at this point, so instead it would have been spoken or indeed sung. So the opening words of the Iliad are Sing Goddess Achilles Rage. So because he's writing an epic, Game of Thrones, therefore, is a song of ice and fire. Mm. A song of Game of Thrones. A song, <laughs> song of Game of, of Thrones. Yeah. Better. <laughs> um, Rhaegar perhaps might also put us in mind of the Black Prince. Edward III, um, this great chivalrous medieval warrior, started off the Hundred Years' War, had lots of amazing victories against mm-hmm. the French, as did his son, the Black Prince. Has all these amazing victories. He's in many ways the embodiment of... 14th century chivalry Mm -hmm. but he dies before his father never gets a chance to be king and it all Mm -hmm. rather goes to pot afterwards and likewise Rhaegar potentially 
It's actually this great chivalric figure. Now, Eris has two other children, Viserys and Daenerys mm. Targaryen. So they're sent off into exile. Rhaegar had two young children by his first wife, Ilya Martell, from Dawn. But um, when the war is won, she is raped and murdered by a character Gregor Clegane, who becomes known as the Mountain, this great oh, big, man. huge, awful figure. And the son, the baby son, has his head bashed against a wall. His brains dashed out. Oh, gosh. Now, when we did the Scottish series, we had a king called Alexander II. Yeah. And he was facing a dynastic, long-standing, over centuries, dynastic threat from the McWilliam family. Yeah. And he... Yes, he did. ...gradually whittles them down until the only one left is this little baby girl. And so, in public, this baby girl had her brains dashed out against the market cross, very publicly demonstrating that there was oh, a dynasty. That is foul. Mm. That is absolutely foul. Um, he had a widespread of interest, this chap, didn't he, this Martin fella? Yeah, there's certainly a lot of Scottish history in there, as mm. well as Wars of the Roses. Anyway, nasty business is done. Eris the Mad King is dead. Rhaegon Targaryen is dead. The other children have been sent off into exile. Babies' brains are bashed out. Robert Baratheon becomes king. Now, in the uh, TV show, I was always interpreted him as sort of quite a charming, jolly chap. Hmm. Not coming to power via baby smashing. Well, he doesn't come to power by baby smashing. He comes to power by, you know, winning the war, winning the battles. But I believe, in fact, that Gregor Clegane was not under the orders of Robert Baratheon, but by another figure. House Lannister! This is what you've been waiting for. Oh, yeah. Your favourite. Absolutely my favourite. I can't understand. Look, it seems to be that the TV show is setting up to be all pro House Stark mm. and baddies are Lannister. Mm. I just can't interpret it like that. I think the Lannisters are <laughs> so much cooler. They're so much better and that like the others are just dull. Well, perhaps we'll explore why you might be so attracted to the Lannisters okay, as opposed to the Stark. Robert marries into the Lannister family. That's how he sort of secures the throne with the help of uh, their patriarch, Tywin Lannister, mm. who will come to. The Lannister family are the wealthiest of all the houses because they've got gold mine on their lands. So their unofficial motto is, a Lannister always pays his debts. Yeah, it is. They're so cool. And we might compare them to the Plantagenet dynasty. Yes, we should. Of England, they They're got the so same cool. sigil, as they call it in Game of Thrones, coat of arms in England. The Lannisters have got a gold lion rampant on a red background. The Plantagenets, of course, have the three lions, two from Normandy, one from Aquitaine. Perfect. Hmm. I mean... They're, they're the good guys, then. Yeah. yeah. Although Scots also, of course, have a, uh, a lion. Oh, rampant. lion, yeah. He's, he's upright, isn't he? Like Lannisters, yeah. Mm. Now, Tywin Lannister, as I said, he's the head of the family at the... Well, actually, he's not in the very start of the series, but he's the head of the family. Is he not? He's not in the first few episodes. <coughs> Is He's not the, the little fella? No. Tyrion. Okay. Oh, yes. Yeah, right, got you. Tywin Lannister is the head of the family, the patriarch. Very hard soldier, mm. effective politician, twice serves as the Hand of the King, so a hugely influential figure. Hand of the King is sort of the chief minister, mm. in effect. He stays largely neutral during Robert's rebellion until the very end, and he takes King's Landing by treacherous means. Mm -hmm. um, now, some people have compared him a little bit to Warwick the Kingmaker during the Wars of the Roses. 
Mm, can see that. He was a very wealthy and senior noble, and his support was crucial in Edward IV ultimately being able to overcome Henry VI, mm. of course, was England's mad king. Mm. But by far the most direct comparison that can be made for Tywin Lannister, and indeed one which has been acknowledged by George R. R. Martin, mm. and why you love the Lannisters, it's Edward I. Boom. They're really... Tywin Lannister by... is basically is Edward I in so many different ways. They're both very tall and physically impressive men. Well, he's uh, Charles Dance. Indeed. Even into old age, they're still very strong, upright and active. He's gorgeous. Edward regularly slept out in the cold with his troops on campaign, shared a barrel of wine with them at Conwy during a siege. Yeah. Hard, hard man. One of Tywin's earliest scenes in the show is where he is skinning a stag. and We basically see him elbow deep. In yeah. blood and guts. It's oh, a he's proper so physical cool. man. Yeah. Oh, I love him. A quote from uh, Tywin that I think could just as easily come out of the mouth of uh, Edward I. A lion does not concern himself with the opinions of sheep. <laughs> brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. They're also both not above being a little bit treacherous and duplicitous. Needs must. When it suits them. Uh, when fighting the rebellion of Simon de Montfort, Edward I apparently had previously defeated de Montfort's son in battle, so he'd captured his banners, and so when he marches off to battle with Simon de Montfort, he approaches flying the banner of the de Montforts. Yeah. And so they think, oh, this is all right, sonny yeah. boy, and then they realise it's actually Edward, and he's deceived them. Likewise, Tywin enters... King's Landing against the Mad King by deceptive means. He pretends he's going in to provide him some support mm -hmm. against Robert, but in fact he's intending to take him down. Did it? it and it, they both win. So <laughs> they do both win. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Though that they're meant they they sort of first certainly the first three series were meant to be siding with this rugged, salt of the earth northern mm. Starks. Well, I mean, uh, this is what I'm thinking that surely, from your perspective, you've got Tywin, who is basically Edward the mm. First. So, in Braveheart, you know, you are siding with, yeah, technically the bad guy. Every what? <laughs> so, from your perspective, I guess we've got a Edward the First, yeah, and then B a tall, plush blonde lady. Who's that? Cersei. Yes. So combine those two things together. Oh dear, oh diddly! There's Tyrion's a good laugh, and then oh, he's the best. I so you got. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Anyway, we've got more Edward the First comparisons for Tywin. Mm. Um, Edward apparently had his own version of the mountain. A chap called Sir John Fitz Marmaduke, who's this great big, really horrible, cruel man. And apparently, on one occasion when Edward was deciding it was very much gloves off time. Yeah. He said to Sir John, You are a bloodthirsty man. I have often had to rebuke you for being too cruel. But now be off. Use all of your cruelty. And instead of rebuking you, I shall praise you. Because he wanted him to go and cause havoc somewhere. Indeed. And it's thought that it was perhaps Tywin Lannister that sends the mountain off to kill the children. Oh, yes. the babies. Hence that uh, there was a duel later. Where, a duel later, yeah. yes. Because yeah. he's... The brother is trying to establish that Tywin was the one that ordered it. Oh, I just love him. He's so <laughs> statesman-like, but also, oh, I don't know, he's got this wisdom about him as well. It's brilliant. And they both have a surprising tender side in that they both really love their wives. Who's who's Charles Dance's wife? Uh, well, so Tywin's wife is uh, Joanna Lannister, who's a cousin of his. Oh. Um, apparently, 
the one of the only times he was ever seen to smile was on his wedding day. But then she died giving birth to Tyrion. Oh yes, of course. After which he never smiles again. Yeah. Edward also married a cousin of sorts in Eleanor of Castile. Yeah. Um, and again, very much in love. Neither of them ever took mistresses. Mm. And when she died, he builds these 12 crosses, the Eleanor crosses lining the sort of route back, mm. take her body back for the funeral. He does remarry. Charles Dance doesn't. Tywin doesn't remarry. <laughs> Edward does. Yeah. But he's not really into it. No. He's just doing, doing his duty. Doing what he has to do. They also have a very violent relationships with their sons. Absolutely true, yeah. Edward tore his son, the future Edward II, he tore his hair out when uh, Edward, his son promoted his favourite and possible lover, Piers Gaveston. Constantly at odds. Tore his hair out? Hmm. Not his own? His no, son's. his son's. Well, ugh, that's gross. <laughs> Not all of it, but just... <laughs> yeah. Strand by strand. Stand there. <laughs> um, and of course, uh, Tywin Lannister is very much at odds with his son, Tyrion, Tyrion um, is a dwarf, so also an outcast in a similar way to Edward II, but mm. a physical uh, thing rather than his uh, character. But Tywin bl- always blames him for the mm. mother's death, mm. never really accepts him fully. I mean, that is a fault of his, but you know, you need it to carry the story, mm. so I'll forgive him. Tywin and Edward are also both reliant on banks. Well, people Goodness lending me, them yes. money. Edward took huge loans from the Riccardi bankers to fund his military campaigns, particularly yeah. all of those Welsh castles. Tywin, despite the wealth of the Lannisters, once he's actually effectively running the country, is quite an expensive business. So he funds all of the expensive wars with increasingly large loans from the Iron Bank mm. of Bravos. Mm. This is uh, uh, incredible, the similarity here. Yeah, so uh, Tyrion, uh, sorry, Tywin has three children. Cersei, his only daughter, older twin sister of Jaime, mm-hmm. uh, very beautiful, had hoped to marry Rhaegar. Oh, right. Uh, but was rejected, which is perhaps why Tywin sends the mountain in to murder uh. the wife as a sort of mm. vengeance for his honour being slighted. She ends up marrying Robert Baratheon mm. when he becomes king. Initially, she's excited because he's this great warrior who's taking the throne, but she discovers that his love is purely for Lyanna Stark uh, who dies Uh, during the rebellion and thus mm. it's a loveless marriage. Right. Jamie is her brother. He becomes infamous as the Kingslayer because when he was serving in the King's Guard which is effectively like the Roman's Praetorian Guard Mm. sort of the guard to the the ruler um, he murdered the Mad King so ending the rebellion in effect so the man he's meant to be protecting he actually well, it's g- it was Killed. good for the good overall. It was good for the realm. And Tyrion, uh, who is the third son, as you said, a dwarf, uh, George R. R. Martin has acknowledged a certain similarity with Richard III. So Richard III was oh, said to yeah. have a hunchback mm. in Shakespeare. Of course, we now know that not to be true, although he did have scoliosis. So he did mm. have a curvature of the spine. But it's more almost the propaganda element. So by having a physical affliction, whether it be curved spine or being a dwarf mm. easy source for propagandists to turn them into a sort of a monstrous figure bunchback toad indeed so that's what happens with Richard III but a lot of people feel actually maybe he was a lot better than all of that mm. and he's unfairly treated and thus Tyrion um, is often seen as being quite unpopular there's a lot of stuff against him mm. but actually very wise man very wise man Arya briefly joins a theatre group which is performing a play showing some of the events at King's Landing in which Tyrion is the villain 
and he has a quote where he says, My noble sire he made of purest gold, and gold he made my siblings, boy and girl, but I am formed of darker stuff, of bones and blood and clay. Which is the kind of tone that you might get from Shakespeare's Richard III. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Anyway, those are the Lannisters, but as you've said, perhaps the show tries to direct us not to see them as the heroes, but instead... House Stark! Um, Robert Baratheon mm. was the king. In his youth, he was this great and dashing warrior, incredibly strong, very, very powerful man. Um, but when he becomes king, he turns to drink uh, and turns to women. Lots and lots of mistresses, and he ends up rather fat mm. and bloated. Jon Snow uh, describes him as a fat man, red-faced under his beard, sweating through his silks. Mm, nice. Now, this story is very, very much a strong match for King Edward IV. Navy? No. Pineapple? No. Oh. That's William IV. Oh. Who Who's is Ed the Navy and the Pineapple? Which is Edward IV? Then? Edward IV is Wars of the Roses. Oh, of course. Yeah, dashing, all that business. Yeah. Very handsome and dashing young son of Richard, mm. Duke of York. And when his father was killed, he wins these great victories against the mad king, Henry VI. Mm -hmm. Wins the throne. Very popular. Seems to have basically sorted all the problems out. But when he becomes king, he gives in to his indulgences, gets incredibly fat, um, sires loads of illegitimate children, and is aged well before his time. Yeah, I always find that quite surprising about his story. Hmm. I always thought that he was... It's like basically the Black Prince. I guess it's one of those where you sort of almost you see him as one part of the story, not the other. Whereas Henry VIII kind of goes on a similar journey, at least in terms of his physical. Mm. But we see him as the end bit rather than the yeah, true. early bit. Yeah, very true. Mm. And of course, Henry VIII is the maternal grandson of Edward IV. Oh God, there's connections all over there's the connections place. Connections everywhere. <laughs> oh. Now, Robert ultimately dies in a fatal hunting accident. Perhaps. Oh, because Cersei arranged for him to be very, very drunk, so that when he takes on a wild boar, he's not quite ready for it. Scandal Bell? Scandal Bell. Oh, well, no, you've got Scandal Bell, actually, in uh, Turling, I think. I do. You? That's why but I haven't brought it. Ding, 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 ding. Mm. Rufus. William Rufus, of course, dies in a hunting accident. Um, he is shot with an arrow mm. by the best shot in England. Mm. And then his brother Henry I very quickly reacts and takes the throne, one wanders if it was all planned. Edward IV doesn't get killed, but he does fall ill and die aged just 40, but prematurely aged. So mm. both of them promise an awful lot, but then mm. die. The outcomes in both cases we lead to a son who is not really of age, so we've got something of a regency. Speculation over the legitimacy of the son. Mm. In Robert's case, Joffrey. In Edward mm. IV's case, Princes in the Tower. Oh, yeah. And ultimately, we are returned to the Civil War that we had thought that that king had ended. Gosh. Gosh, it's like a history lesson, this. <laughs> I mean, it is a history podcast, but <laughs> it's uh, it's learning by deceit, this programme, mm. isn't it? I'm mm. sneaking it in. Mm. Now, what's all of this got to do with the Starks? Good point. The Starks are from the north, uh, based in the castle at Winterfell, and they've ruled the north for millennia. Absolutely miserable, the place. Have you seen it? Gross. Much like England. 
Uh, the North is seen as being largely independent. They're always reluctant to bend the knee, mm -hmm. as they say, to the King in the South. Southerners look on it at disdain, seeing it as being rather backward and inhospitable. Uh, and as with Northumbria, the Anglo-Saxon kingdom once was its own independent kingdom, has never quite got used to the fact that it's mm. not anymore. <laughs> so the head of the House Stark mm. uh, in this story is Ned Stark, or Eddard Stark. Sharp. Seen Bean. Seen Bean. Or Sean Bourne, <laughs> as you would call him. Uh, he was raised as a ward with Robert Baratheon mm. in his youth. Uh, and he marries a woman called Caitlin. She had actually been betrothed through his brother, but brother was killed by the Mad King. Oh, right. So he married Oh, instead. in that execution. Yeah. A mm. little bit, uh, perhaps, like we've got, uh, of course, Henry VIII marries... Ah! Oh, of yeah. course, was originally... Do you born. have a Stark leaning? Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, of course. It's all about the Starks over the Lannisters. No, Maybe I've never actually Stark. asked you that before. Of course. I mean, John's the... Hero. Oh, he's so boring. He can't say anything without his his blooming his eyebrows go up and together, and he's all like, "Oh no, I must do it because it's noble. Just have some fun, God's sake." <laughs> <sighs> Ned fought alongside Robert Baratheon in the Great Rebellion, but once the war was won, he returns to Winterfell. Yeah, he goes back to the north. He doesn't really have any interest in the court politics. He's a very good, very honourable man. Perhaps a little bit naive yes. in terms of all of the court games. He's got three sons, Rob, Brandon and Rickon, mm -hmm. two daughters, Sansa and Arya, as well as, ways, as well as raising a ward from the House Greyjoy, Theon, mm -hmm. and uh, his supposedly bastard son, Jon Snow. Mm -hmm. All of the Stark children take on, uh, we see in the first episode, I think, uh, an orphaned pup, these dire wolves. Oh, yeah. Which go on to be these sort of enormous wolves that are kind of the size of small horses. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, and they sort of take on the personality of their owner mm. as well. Uh, apparently, these are actually creatures that really existed. What? In North America, dire wolves. They went extinct about 10,000 years ago. Uh. But they did exist at the same time as humans. Well, giant wolves. Yeah, not as big as in Game of Thrones, but nevertheless, the largest ever s species of wolf. Wow. Recorded. Good. Goodness me. Mm. Now, the series itself starts when Robert Baratheon brings his family all up to King, to uh, Winterfell. Yeah, and for jolly. His previous Hand of the King has died, and he persuades Ned to come down to King's Landing and be the Hand of the King. Because mm. he says he doesn't really trust anyone else at court, he doesn't like the Lannister family. So he says, Ned, you come along, sort things out. Mm. So reluctantly, Ned goes down to King's Landing with Sansa and Arya. Why does he take them? Sansa is betrothed to Robert's son, Joffrey. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, I'm not sure why Arya goes, just for bit of funny. bit of fun. Now, Ned uncovers evidence while he's there that Robert's three children with Cersei are not actually his own children, mm -mm. but instead they are the product of an incestuous relationship between Cersei and Jaime Lannister. Uh-oh. Now, Anne Boleyn, second wife of Henry VIII, um, was accused of sleeping with her brother George Boleyn. Was she? That was one of the charges that was laid against her. Historians don't believe that this was true. I thought it was the musician Peppercorn. And there was Mark Smeaton oh, and yeah. some other noble chaps, but she was. But one of the other things she was convicted of was oh. sleeping with her brother. Oh dear. Ned, having found this out, shows his naivety. So he thinks, "I'll tell Cersei that I know about this. Give her a chance to pack her things, and then she'll pop off." 
to avoid disgrace. Does he tell her? I can't remember that. Yeah, he tells her. But, of course, he's outmaneuvered. Mm. Instead, he is arrested for treason mm. against Joffrey Baratheon, the new king. Because the other fellas got it in a hunting accident by now. Mm. Yeah, so Robert dies. This is when Ned takes action. And, of course, he is arrested for treason. Negotiations took place there. He was meant to be set free. But after confessing his guilt, instead of being exiled to the Night's Watch, instead, Joffrey intervenes, demands his death, and Ned is beheaded. Now, from that, is that... Do you think Joffrey was set up by his uh, mum? Or is that just... Because that sets off this whole chain of events. This in happens at the end of the first book, happens at the end of the first series, mm. and it's the big shock for people who hadn't read the book, because Sean Bean, everyone was assuming, was the main character. Well, he was yeah, the main yeah. character. Everyone was assuming this is the guy that's going to... Carry the series, yeah. Carry the series, but in fact, he's just the front, and it's the children who are the main mm. ones, but it's covered by him. So it's a big shock. Um, it wasn't intended. It wasn't planned. It was just Joffrey as this cruel, impetuous, teenage wow. evil king just steps in and... Because that's classic Cersei. It is, but that's actually why... Tywin becomes involved, Tywin Lannister, because he's like, what's all this mess going on? Look, the ridiculous mess you started. You've lost control of your son. I'm going to have to sort everything out. Okay. Okay. Now, there are quite a few historical parallels for Ned Stark. One that a lot of people make is with Richard, Duke of York, because he was the head of the Yorkist dynasty, the father of Edward IV, um, fought against the Lancastrians but was outwitted by the Queen, Margaret of Anjou, mm. and ultimately loses his head. Mm. Much like Ned. Another one, perhaps, though, might be Richard III. Not all aspects of him, but nevertheless, he was kind of like a brother to Robert Baratheon. Yeah. Very serious, very dutiful. Mm. Doesn't really like things at court, not big fan of the Queen, so instead he just does good justice in the north. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, then he says, oh, by the way, I don't actually think that my old brother's sons were legit. Goodness me. The difference, of course, is that Ned Stark doesn't take the throne, whereas Richard III does. Crumbs, that is, that is spot on. Well, but we could perhaps get a little bit more spot on. Same time period, William Lord Hastings. This was Edward IV's closest friend and advisor. And when he didn't think that the regency was all going in quite the way that it should because the Queen Mother Elizabeth Woodville was taking control and he feared that that family was just going to start running things, he wrote to Richard III, as Ned did to Robert's next brother, Stannis Baratheon, telling him, look, there's a problem here. So Ned wrote to Stannis, just as Hastings did to Richard, calling on him to intervene. But of course, Hastings ended up being outmaneuvered by Richard III and then was swiftly killed taken out of a council meeting, immediately declared guilty and beheaded without any real warning. Yeah. And this <laughs> leads to chaos and uproar. The North demands vengeance. Stannis Baratheon receiving the note claims that he is the rightful heir. And so we have... A Game of Thrones! He's got a point, hasn't he, Stannis? Stannis has got a point. And indeed, Ned's eldest son, Rob Stark, has got a point. Ah. Oh. It's a bit annoying that you just killed my dad. Yeah. Particularly that we were negotiating for how you're going to not kill him. So, what, that's his claim, is that his dad died? Well, no. So, he's raising an army because his father's been um, initially arre well initially arrested, and also, of course, the daughters are there as well. Yeah. Then his father is murdered, mm -hmm. and he's like, right, 
need my sisters back and we're going to have vengeance here. So Rob Stark... That's no claim. That's Well, he's not claiming the throne. He's oh, just going he's to just war. He's just angry. Okay. Yeah. So, well, and also, you know, how does Robert's rebellion start? It's that uh, the woman mm. that he's betrothed to gets abducted. Yeah, it's just whoever's most powerful, isn't it's it? It's not really a claim to the throne as such. No. Anyway, Rob Stark is Ned's oldest son. He's about 14 when the series starts, but probably 15 once See. events, actually. I mean, the actor wasn't, but the... Mm. He raises an army in response to all of this, raises the banners across the north, but while they're debating what to do and about going to war with the Lannisters, the northern leaders pick up on that old northern independence, say, I'm not going to bend the knee to any of these people. I, the only king that I'm going to recognise is the king in the north. Mm. So Rob doesn't really declare himself king of Westeros, but rather he becomes king of the north. North, once again, is asserting his independence right. from the rest of the place. But nevertheless, he goes to war with the Lannisters. It wins some very impressive battles as well. Despite being very young, he outwits Tywin a little bit in battle, wins some victories, and is undefeated. Mm-hmm. And this, once again, could put us in mind of the young Edward IV. He was only 19 when his father was beheaded in the Wars of the Roses, but immediately goes on to win a series of very impressive victories Mm. against the Lancastrians. He, of course, is able to take the throne, which doesn't happen for Rob Stark. Mm -hmm. Another example, we could return to uh, baby smasher Alexander II of Scotland, Mm. because he starts off very young. He's 17 years old when he first becomes king, and he's facing off against King John. This is when John's got all the problem with the barons yeah. and Magna Carta. So he actually invaded northern England in a series of very impressive campaigns. Oh, yeah, he went down to York. Well, he ended up going, yeah, he went down to York, but then he ended up going all the way down to Dover. Yeah, it's like he ran out of places to go. <laughs> yeah, just got just to the cliff edge. Got, and thought, oh, here we go. Back again. Back we go. He was dubbed a uh, fox cub by John because mm-hmm. of the way that he sort of ran away and hid in his den, as John said. But interestingly, Rob Stark was dubbed the young wolf. Hmm. A similar sort of tone. They also both see their gains quite quickly undone. Yeah. Although Alexander is able to continue as king, whereas for Rob, obviously, things go rather badly. Now, as part of his campaign, Rob Stark was due to marry the daughter of a chap called Walder Frey. Mm. But he ends up falling in love and marries somebody else instead. Mm-hmm. So to try to repair the damage, his uncle, his maternal uncle, Edmore Tully, will marry said daughter instead. So they go along to the wedding, hosted by Walder Frey. Wedding goes ahead, but then the doors are closed. Ominous Lannister song is performed. Oh, I loved that scene. Uh, the um, what's it called? The Lord the of Red Wedding, Lord of the Reigns of Castamere. Reigns of Castamere, yeah. Um, and the Starks are massacred. So Rob is killed by his chief vassal, Lord Bolton, mm. the Northerner, and indeed his mother, Caitlin, is mm. also murdered at the Red Wedding. Now this also gives us a link to Edward the Fourth because Edward the Fourth, having become king, mm. loses a huge amount of support by a surprise marriage to Elizabeth Woodville. Oh, yes. Well, the kingmaker had been negotiating that he'd marry a French princess, and then suddenly Edward says, oh, by the way, chaps, yeah. found a pretty lady on the road and married her instead. I feel like all of this episode, uh, I could just leave now, and you'll just, <laughs> just have a button that goes, oh, oh yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and indeed, Edward IV does briefly lose the throne as yeah. a result of this. Now, interestingly, in the books, it's different in the TV series that character name is different 
in terms of the person that he marries. Right. Rob's wife in the books is someone of Lannister vintage. Mm. And indeed, Edward IV marries Elizabeth Woodville, who was previously married to a Lancastrian. Right. Got you. Okay, so it's the enemy. Both marrying across the divide. This also shows us the problem of rivalries with the northern families. We've got the Starks and the Boltons in Game of Thrones, who've been at odds for centuries. And this is rather akin to the rivalry in northern England. We've got the Percy and the Neville families, Mm. also at odds for dominance. Now, the direct influence for the Red Wedding scene Mm. doesn't come from the Wars of the Roses in England, but instead it comes from two events in Scottish history. One is in 1440, the Black Dinner. So this was the young James II, King of Scots at the time, and he's at dinner at Edinburgh Castle with uh, his mate, teenage Earl of Douglas, and then Douglas's younger brother. They're invited to dinner, all's going well, but then suddenly a drum was beaten, and then the head of a black bull was placed on the table, which was a sign of death. And then the Douglas brothers dragged outside, given a mock trial, and then executed on the spot, despite the cries and protestations of James II, who didn't order it, but rather the rival nobles ruling the minority. Did they get their comeuppance? Because James II should have been obeyed, shouldn't he? Uh, Well, but he was just a kid at this point, so they just did what they wanted. God, that's uh, when you were telling me that story, then that's quite scary because I... uh, I was lucky. Was at a dinner where there was a, a black bull that no. was dumped. Well, up I was them. lucky enough to go to a wedding in that spot. I was at in, oh. in Edinburgh Castle. Oh wow! The other one mm. that inspired this was the Glencoe massacre. Ah, uh, yeah. 1692. About 30 members of the Macdonald clan are murdered by their guests, the Campbell family, who are acting under government orders. And this, both of these, are shocking because it goes against laws of hospitality. Well, I mean, yeah. You offer them a cup of tea and all that. Nowhere in those rules is kill them. So that proved the end of Rob Stark. Thank God. Though, again, that was another shock because narrative-wise... He was... Yeah, he was the new Ned. He's the new Ned. The story arc is going to be that Mm. he avenges his father. And he's going to assume the throne. Mm. But no. Yes. No, I was pleased to see the back of him. (laughs) Another do-gooding, dashing... Yeah, rubbish. Boring... But, of course, there is perhaps a, a bigger threat in terms of the threat to the actual throne comes from Stannis Baratheon. Mm. He is the rather serious brother of Robert Baratheon. Very skilled military commander, strong sense of justice, but rather lacking in a sense of humour. Mm. <laughs> um, he raises an army and proclaims himself king after Ned confirmed what he'd previously believed that Robert's children are illegitimate. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately, his younger and more charismatic brother, Renly, also claimed the throne. Why? Uh, Because he wanted to. Uh, But conveniently, he was magically assassinated by Stannis, or rather by Stannis's uh, Melisandre. Uh, Ali's favourite. Ali's Mm -hmm. favourite. Yes, now she is priestess for the Lord of Light, Mm -hmm. a religious thing, which is something of a Rasputin figure. Mm. really this controversial one that a lot of other people don't like that ultimately loses him a lot of support mm. that she's able to sort of seduce her way yeah I like the Lord of Light I thought he was cool mm. um, Stannis launches a naval assault on King's Landing yep. tries to take it by force but Tyrion um, who is manning the defences uses wild fire mm. setting lots of the ships and indeed the men on fire and then raises this great chain which prevents the ships from escaping and so that they do properly burn and the casualties are even greater. Mm. 
Stannis is defeated. Now, Stannis is actually still alive in the books, but in the TV series, he goes north, mm. first off to defend Winterfell against the Wildlings, but then he's defeated uh, by Ramsay Bolton outside Winterfell in battle. And yeah, I always thought that was a bit of an, uh, a strange mm. thing that he suddenly went north and... Melisandre mm. tells him that he needs to be there mm. and that there's a role to play because she's seen this great battle outside Winterfell. She's seen the coming danger. Oh, she got the wrong battle. She's got the wrong battle. She's also got the wrong man because she thought Stannis was this sort of prophesied one who would solve everything. But And the battle outside Winterfell that I've just seen. battle you've just seen. So she saw it. It just wasn't that battle and it wasn't Stannis. Mm, right. So Stannis ends up being killed by a, a knight of Renly, Brienne of Tarth. Which one? Tall woman. Oh, yeah. It's the big woman here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. He His character, who Torment. we talking Yeah. Wildling. Went from absolute baddie, terrifying, basically second in command, to quite a friendly comedy character. Comedy, yeah. Mm. Comic relief. Mm-hmm. Now, again, with Stannis, we've got a number of uh, real-life inspirations here. Richard III, once again, we've got to pop up. Younger brother to Robert's Edward IV. Richard III, far more serious to Edward's rather more partying, mm. indulgent approach. Much more righteous, chose to stay away from court. Poor relationship with the brother's wife. Mm. Mm. Ultimately, of course, takes the... Th- or tries to take the throne. Stannis tries to take the throne. Richard does take the throne mm. from his nephews, whom he claims are illegitimate. Stannis <gasps> is seeking to unseat Joffrey, his nephew, uh, yeah. claiming that Joffrey is illegitimate. Goodness me. Uh, both of them, of course, end up defeated. Richard did get to be king. Stannis never quite gets there. Richard's reputation is besmirched by the rumours that he murdered his nephews. Stannis, at least in the TV series, never really recovers after sacrificing his own daughter. um, This, (coughs) excuse me, this is making me appreciate the storytelling. The fact that I, if I were to do this, I would completely parallel one character with another. Yeah, just done. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. and the fact that Richard III pops up in so many ways Mm. is making me think, so, hang on, do they all have nephews? <laughs> and actually, there's, there's different parts of the character that he's given yeah. to different people. It's brilliant. Hmm. George R. R. Martin apparently said that um, the Roman Emperor Tiberius was an inspiration for Stannis Baratheon. Hmm. Um, Tiberius apparently had lots of great victories as a general, but was remembered as a rather sombre and gloomy figure hmm. who didn't really enjoy very much of what he was doing. I, yeah, I didn't enjoy his he's screen He's a bit of a miserableist, yeah. Stannis, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. It was great character, but it sort mm. of it was never it was never fun. Mm. Now, wildfire that Tyrion uses the obvious inspiration. Uh, Greek fire, Greek fire, indeed. This mm. sort of liquid fire, impervious to water, mm. and wildfire probably from the tar um, the Targaryen no Targaryens or Valyrians perhaps, but there's secrets about how it's made. Mm. Again, with Greek fire, still not really sure. Yeah. How it was done. Yeah. Byzantines had it uh, right under lock and key, didn't they? And also the chain uh, has a real-life precedent. Again, Constantinople was protected by a great chain fixed across the Golden Horn. Mm. It would stop ships getting in Mm. or out. Such a good idea. Apparently, Harold Hardrada, the Viking, was the only man ever to evade it. Oh, really? Apparently, he got the, the oarsmen to row as quickly as possible, got everyone in the boat to run to the back of the ship so that it raised up. (gasps) <gasps> and then they all run to the front oh. so that it jumps. Wow. 
Anyway, mm. Rob Stark, Stannis Baratheon, they have both failed. Joffrey remains king. He is a particularly nasty piece of work. He is indeed a very vile I young mean, I man. like Lanca- Lan- Lancasterians. <laughs> Lannister. <laughs> Lannisters, but not him. No, he is the heir of Robert Barath- Baratheon. Supposedly the son, but as we said, in reality, is fathered by his uncle, mm. Jamie. Sadistic, cruel. He was initially betrothed to Sansa Stark, mm. um, but for financial reasons, he ends up marrying uh, Marjorie Tyrell. So oh, very is that wealthy what family. Yeah. Why? They need the money. And he just don't need the Stark alliance yeah. either, particularly. So yeah. marry the Tyrells instead. Good escape. Good escape. Um, but he ends up being unseated as king, not by any of these rebellions, but instead he is poisoned at his wedding feast. Yes, thank goodness. <clears throat> do we ever find out who did it? We do. Oh, I don't remember. Oh, yes. Littlefinger? Uh, he's involved. Okay. We'll come to it mm. shortly. couple of historical precedents for Joffrey. Mm. One is Edward of Westminster, who is the only son of Henry VI of Wars of the Roses fame and Margaret of Anjou. Mm-hmm. Now, there was speculation that Henry VI wasn't actually the real father of Edward of Westminster. Apparently he was born during one of Henry's madness lapses. Mm -hmm. So when he was shown the son after coming out of it, he didn't really quite understand where he'd come from. (laughs) (laughs) Poor bloke. Um, But he also had a reputation for cruelty. The ambassador of Milan noted that this boy, though only 13 years of age, already talks of nothing but cutting off heads or making war. Mm -hmm. Which was very much up Joffrey's sort of... Yeah, totally his trouser. Um, Edward ends up being killed as a teenager after the Lancastrian defeat at the Battle of Tewkesbury. As he would have wanted to go. Mm. But the other one is Eustace of Bologna, who is the eldest son of King Stephen. Yes. So Stephen um, was king after Henry I in place of his cousin Matilda, who should have been queen. And we have the anarchy, the civil Mm. war. Uh, Stephen ends up recognising Matilda's son Henry, the future Henry II, as his as his heir. Yeah. Eustace was still alive and was pretty upset about all of this. He's tidying up that, doesn't he? Very upset, but thankfully, quite soon afterwards, he choked to death at a feast. Mm. Which is quite convenient. Mm -hmm. So George R.R. Martin said of Joffrey's death, I based it a little on the death of Eustace, the son of King Stephen. Eustace choked to death at a feast. People are still debating a thousand of years later, did he choke to death or was he poisoned? Because by removing Eustace, it brought about a peace that ended the English Civil War. Yeah, I mean, all the while that that anarchy was going on, Mm. I don't know whether if I were Eustace, I'd have had the foresight to realise that if I just... um, dead <laughs> it's actually all okay if i just die everything will be great for everybody but me. I, i'd never have seen myself as like that that key to peace mm. it's horrible <laughs> isn't it like at what point would he realize oh dear i mean I'm the blockage here i mean in fairness to him the other solution would have been to have killed matilda or her son yeah 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 which but probably would have been the preference angle he would have taken yeah I, yeah definitely <laughs> Um, now, you asked who... Uh, of course, the difference, of course, Eustace dying makes it much easier for Henry II to become mm. king. Joffrey dying doesn't end all of the wars. No. Though the accession of his younger brother, Tommen, who's a much nicer chap, does seem to herald a potential for... But he's rubbish. Happy times there, it doesn't work out. Now, the person who's actually behind it, the person who actually administers the poison, 
is Lady Olena Tyrell. She was the matriarch of the Tyrell dynasty. Oh, I grandmother, love her. Played by Diana Rigg. Yes. Cunning, sharp-tongued old matriarch. She's the one that puts the poison in because she wants to save her granddaughter the horror of actually having to marry yeah. Joffrey. Match for her very much has to be Eleanor of Aquitaine. Yeah. The formidable Plantagenet matriarch married Henry II, of course, ends up going to war against him, getting her sons to rebel. Um, ends up this incredibly old figure. Way into her 70s, she's still going. Basically runs the country for riches and then she has to step in. She's, br- I mean, John. she's brilliant, but Diana Rigg in mm. that, oh, so good. Some of the best scenes where Tywin, and such as the status of Elena Terrell, that she's one of the only people, if not the only person, that Tywin seems to regard as an equal. Yeah. So when you've got Charles Dance and Diana Rigg in the same room. facing off against yeah. each other. <laughs> and again, Eustace, like Joffrey, very much unpopular. The Peterborough Chronicle said of him, he was an evil man and did more harm than good wherever he went. He spoiled the lands and laid thereon heavy taxes. Or as Lady Tyrell said about Joffrey, he really was a wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was Joffrey, though, killed off at a wedding. Thank goodness. But the real power in King's Landing, it varies a little bit, but essentially the real power is not in the king's, but rather in the king's mother, Cersei Lannister. Yeah, it's all about the... Uh Women in this episode, in this series, isn't it? It's brilliant. Mm. So Cersei is the effective power behind the throne, both for Joffrey and then for Tommen, when he becomes king after Joffrey. Schemes her way back into power when she's undermined by Tywin. Um, Also schemes against Marjorie. Of course, marries Joffrey and then marries Tommen. Yes, I thought they were great, that sort of duel those two had. Mm. Um, Cersei increasingly the main nemesis of the story other than the Night King Mm. for her we've got a number of people we might think of her Isabella of France is one she was the queen of Edward II of England disenchanted with her husband when he promoted favourites who also probably his lovers Mm. didn't show her much respect she has him overthrown and killed with the help of her new lover Roger Mortimer and she was a master of dissembling apparently very good at hiding her true feelings Keep her enemies guessing. Mm. They don't realise what she's actually about. Mm. And I think Cersei is very much yeah, assembly. We've seen in the new uh, series. Is it this series? No, it was the previous series where she said that she was going to help send an army up to Winterfell, yeah. help them deal with the White Walkers. Mm-hmm. Lying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the other one, perhaps, though, would be Margaret of Anjou. Mentioned her a few times before. She is the queen of Henry VI during the Wars of the Roses. Very strong character who has to actually end up leading the Lancastrians when her husband proves not up to the job. Yeah, I always thought she was uh, like a bit more moral, though, than Cersei, perhaps. Well, that, I mean, is that saying a huge amount? Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. She does have um, Richard, Duke of York. Well, no, actually, no, he was already beheaded. She has a crown put on the beheaded. Oh, yeah. Thing paper crown, or paper yeah. crown, yeah. yeah. Um, the marriage between Henry and Margaret is described as being of fire and milk. Hmm. Close, close indeed. <laughs> like Cersei, rumours of illegitimacy of illegitimacy of her son, mm. Joffrey and Edward of Win- uh, Westminster, castigated by contemporaries for being a virago. Effectively, she's doing a man's role. Yeah, she's she bound thinks, to get well, that. I'm better at this than the men so why shouldn't I be doing it right. and again Cersei very much obviously decides well, look I'm actually the best person for this whole ruling business mm. I'm just going to do it myself Yeah. 
And also both of them lose uh, husband and indeed son. Mm. Son, since Cersei's case, of course. Oh, yeah, Tommen as well. Mm. Now, one area when Cersei sought to increase her influence over Marjorie Terrell was by promoting a religious group who were bent on reforming corrupt Westeros church and society. Yeah, why Why did she do that again? To what? She thought she'd be able to use them against the Tyrell, so she'd get Loras Tyrell for being gay, she'd get Marjorie, she'd accuse her of, I can't remember what she accused her of, some, some sort of crime. Yeah. And she thought, that's a way to break up this alliance and get rid of the people I don't like. Mm. So she'd use the church to support her policies, which, again, very much classic medieval yeah. kingship there. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the Sparrows, and indeed the High Sparrow mm-hmm. is the leader. Who plays the High Sparrow? Uh, Jonathan Price. God, that was brilliant. It I was absolutely awesome. loved that character. Mm. It backfires, of course, for Cersei, though, because the moral drive is not just for them to get into power and they'll do what she wants. They also, of course, are aware that there are lots of crimes that she is accused of. Mm. Various murders, incest, of mm. course. So she ends up being arrested by the church. Mm-hmm. And she is humiliated, forced to walk naked through the streets. I couldn't believe that when that happened. That was us. I wanted that sparrow to get his comeuppance mm. so much. I mean, I love what I mean. I loved the character, mm. but I loved to hate him. And indeed, he did get his comeuppance. Uh, Cersei was meant to pop along to the Great Sept for her trial. Mm. along with Soloris. So all of the sparrows are there, the Truells are there as well. But Marjorie realises far too late, Cersei's not there, it's a trap, because what Cersei has done is put more of the wildfire underneath the Great Sept, and then it's set off, completely obliterating the Great Sept and everyone in it. That was great. That Marjorie being... Uh, uh, the white, Tommen's wife. Oh, uh, she realises too late, doesn't mm. she? The sparrows perhaps a pretty easy comparison to make would be to Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation. Yeah. 16th century Europe. Luther criticising the opulence of Roman Catholic Church, calling for a much more back-to-basics approach. Mm. And it's interesting, perhaps a bit like Luther and some of those early sort of evangelical Protestants, High Sparrow, quite an unsympathetic character in many ways. As you said, you sort of you want to see the end of him mm. by the end, despite the fact that Cersei is sort of the baddie. Mm. You think, oh, he's gone too far. And yet he's quite rare because he's one of the only people in the show who is actually genuinely trying to advocate on behalf of the poor. Yes, he is. And he is actually doesn't have any other side to him. No mm. interest in the power. It's actually mm. about <laughs> doing the good deeds. but nobody In a bad that. way. In he's a bad awful. way, though. In a bad way. But, of course, Cersei's destruction of the Great Sept is a successful version of the gunpowder plot. Hmm. So this is where Catholics—that <laughs> was a new one—Catholics <laughs> <laughs> under James the First of England, sixth of Scotland, unhappy at the way uh, the now Protestant religion is going, plan to wipe out um, the king, Parliament, all of the nobles by planting gunpowder under yeah. the uh, Palace of Westminster for the state opening of Parliament. Mm. They were unsuccessful; they were caught in the act. But Cersei shows what would have happened. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it shows what would have happened. Mm. Gosh. Gosh. So, uh, what would have happened? <laughs> well, what would have happened is that uh, everybody's dead. Tommen is quite depressed because he rather liked his wife. And also, he rather liked the um, sparrows, didn't he? He did rather like sparrows, yeah. yeah. He uh, kills himself. And Cersei, no more children left, decides that she's just going to be queen instead. It worked out all right for her, really. And that's a little bit like Catherine the Great in Russia. 
She was originally the consort to Tsar Peter III, who was very unpopular. She has her husband overthrown and just becomes empress in her own right. Yeah, easier, isn't it? Like Cersei, has a string of affairs but never actually remarries. And is tarred with um, all sorts of brushes. Mm. Flight of the Starks! Now, I said at the beginning that well, they were sort of taking a broadly kind of chronological mm. approach of how things are going. Equally, some bits are a little bit pernickety. Yep. Picking up the Stark children at this point, who've oh. been doing lots and lots of stuff. Okay, because actually they fled when Ned got his head Yeah, it's moved. all been kind of, all stuff happening at the same time. Mm. So I went with that main narrative, but now we're going to move back to the Starks. First of all, Sansa. Mm. Now Sansa, Ned's eldest daughter, starts off the story very much naive, full of romantic ideals of honourable knights, damsels in distress, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. She's very much your archetypal medieval woman or medieval girl wanting to become. Like princess type, yeah. Or to become a princess. She's betrothed to Joffrey Baratheon, whom she assumes to be the perfect prince because he is a prince, Mm. Um, but soon discovers his cruelty Mm. and the reality of what life is actually like in a grand castle and all that sort of thing. Yeah, I remember her um, amazement that because he's a a prince, just because he's a prince, he Mm. isn't a a princely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, Isabella France, interestingly, despite her experience of Edward II, was apparently something of an addict of corny medieval romances. Yeah, played by um, a Bond girl in Braveheart. Yes. Uh, apparently regularly would be seen taking books out of the Tower of London. So even a hardened veteran like Isabella... Taking books out, as in like they saw her performing a crime? Uh, or maybe in the library. She got a card. But Sansa goes through something of a hard learning curve. She's cast aside as Joffrey's queen in favour of Marjorie Tyrell. So she instead is forced to marry Tyrion Lannister. Yeah, which I think she made an awful fuss about, to be honest. Well, again, she was naive and she will have this perception that whereas... I think in the books, Joffrey's meant to be a bit more... not No offence to Jack Gleeson. is meant to be a bit more handsome. So when she's... So when she's still in that mindset, when she sees Tyrion as a dwarf, she thinks, oh, God, I've been forced to marry this awful, hideous monster. Oh, I would. I think he's lovely. Well, but she doesn't realise that initially. Mm. Now, Tyrion thinks this is terrible as well, so they never actually consummate their marriage, and he treats her very well. And in hindsight, she says to him, you know, you are the best of them. Mm. She realised, actually, he was very nice to her, Mm. very kind. But at the time, she was seen as being sidelined, and it was just a way that the Lannisters were going to try and rule Winterfell. Now, she is rushed away from King's Landing after Joffrey's murder. Because? Uh, well, it's by Lord Baelish, um, who has always been sort of looking after her in a slightly creepy way, but because she is going to be seen as somebody that might be associated with potentially murdering him. Mm-hmm. So she is spirited away from King's Landing. Now, Baelish, who's known as Littlefinger, mm. is this uh, conniving courtier who'd been in love with Sansa's mother, mm-hmm. Caitlin, um, and he actually portrays Ned. Mm. and he effectively basically seems to be grooming Sansa because he obviously clearly a bit like the mother mm. but he's also kind of teaching her in sort of the art of court politics and cunning mm. which ultimately of course proves to be his undoing because she uses that all of his yeah. lessons against him he very much the embodiment of Machiavellian politics mm. so Machiavelli was a courtier to the Medici in Florence and he wrote a, tra- a tract called The Prince which laid out in scrupulous but effective means at any means murder bribery duplicity whatever 
of getting power mm. and keeping it. So she goes off with uh, Baelish and he takes her hither and thither. Mm. And she ends up back at Winterfell, back mm. home. But Winterfell has now been taken over by the Boltons after the Red Bull. Oh, now, quick poll. Who uh. is more evil? Um, That dog Bolton man. Ramsay Bolton. Ramsay Bolton or uh, the fellow we were just talking about, Joffrey. Ramsay. Yeah? I mean, he's completely... He's psychotic, total, isn't he? Total psychopath, yeah. So, Ramsay uh, is the illegitimate son of Lord Bolton, mm-hmm. but he ends up murdering Lord Bolton and just taking Winterfell for himself. So, Lord Bolton, is he a goodie? He's against the Starks. He's against the Starks. He was meant to be with them, but he betrays them. At the Red so, Wedding. the Red Wedding is, uh, of course, organised by Tywin Lannister. So, when Walder Frey is annoyed that he was slighted for the marriage of his daughter that Rob was meant to take part in. Lord Bolton has already been with the Lannisters, making sure that his troops don't get involved in defeats and things like that. Walder Frey gets involved and Tywin thinks, oh, well, I can't defeat him on the battlefield. Just deal with him. Three of them, yeah. That's, uh, it was l- staring him in the face, that, wasn't Tywin, it? <laughs> another Tywin quote, which again could work quite off Edward with the first, he's saying, explain to me why it is that... Um, Killing ten thousand men on a battlefield is honourable, but it's but it's a terrible thing to kill twelve people at a dinner table. I mean, I, I don't I don't know what this is about me, but I absolutely <laughs> agree. <laughs> it's brilliant. Ah, oh. easy man. Yeah, easy I, man. Anyway, Sansa ends up having to marry Ramsay, mm. and so she'll be the lady of Winterfell. But in effect, this is so that the Boltons can now rule Winterfell, which is all fine and good with the Lannisters because they. Mm. And there's a Stark in there. Exactly. Now, unfortunately, he turns out to be, as we said, the worst psychopath in Westeros, rapes her on the wedding night and other occasions, but she is able to escape, helped by Theon Greyjoy, Mm. who, amongst all of this, has ended up being horribly physically and psychologically tortured by Mm. Ramsay and has become this real shell. Oh, I hate that story. I mean, I I love that storyline, but Mm. oh, it's so horrible. She is able to escape, links up with her brother, Jon Snow, that we'll come back to later. He's got a lovely big army, and we have the Battle of the Bastards, because Jon and Ramsay are both bastards. Ramsay is defeated, and Sansa has him fed to his own evil dogs. Never was there a more satisfying end. Okay, so we, but we'll come to Jon Snow's story in a minute. We'll come we? to Jon yeah. Snow, uh, Snow's story in a minute. Um, she is now a much wiser, much more effective leader, much more realistic. She's learnt the cunning from Baelish, but better strategist. She is actually the one that really wins the Battle of the Bastards by getting that army, the reinforcements to come along, because Jon was actually surrounded. Uh, which are little fingers. Little fingers, and from the uh, the Valley of the Air. The Air? The Air? Yeah. Eerie. Eerie. And she's highly respected now by leaders mm. in the north. Mm. So in many ways, she is almost the sort of the ideal ruler of the north in some ways. Yeah, which will be interesting in terms of where the story goes and what her ultimate path is. We've got powerful queens everywhere. So I know we mm. haven't touched on them yet, but we've got um, uh, well, Cersei, Cersei, mm. um, Sansa, yeah, Dragon Lady, Daenerys. We'll come to later as well. There's actually no men in power here. Not at the moment, and um, I didn't cover this. Because we're sort of just doing these historical comparisons mm. and then sometimes moving on, I've missed the fact that, of course, Tywin ends up being murdered by Tyrion. Yes. Shot with a crossbow while sat on the bog. 
Yeah, not a toilet for American listeners. <laughs> a throne. A throne. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, not the most. Uh, yeah, graceful and Edward the First, of course, a dysentery at the end. So. <laughs> These, my 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 exclamations of <laughs> surprise! I don't. Um, the only dogs will hear them soon. <laughs> Indeed. Some comparisons from history for uh, Sansa Stark. Mm. Anne Neville is one. She is one of the daughters of Warwick the Kingmaker mm. during the Wars of the Roses. When Warwick allied with Margaret of Anjou, Anne was made to marry Edward of Westminster as we said, has been compared to Joffrey as perhaps something of a young mm. psychopath. She then goes on to end up marrying Richard III mm-hmm. and becomes his queen. So we've either got another murderer to compare to Ramsay mm. or someone with the deformity to compare to Tyrion. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. And something of a pawn that yeah. is being used by everybody else. What becomes of her? Well, she dies... As oh. Richard's queen, uh, unfortunately. As Richard III's queen? Mm. But she does become queen consort. Does she survive the Bosworth? No, she does before Bosworth. Oh, okay. Right. That Richard. would have been interesting to see what happened if if she... Yeah. Mm. Another one uh, could be Elizabeth of York. Mm-hmm. Uh, eldest daughter of Elizabeth Woodville, the widow of Edward IV. Um, she was the sister to the princes in the tower. Yeah who end up being murdered. Um, and she does end up marrying the eventual king, Henry VII, uniting Lancaster and York. Brilliant. And of course, Tyrion and Sansa were technically married, and that was uniting Stark and Lannister. Yeah. But another one, which perhaps got a more positive uh, for maybe what the future holds for her, could be Elizabeth I. Ginger. L- like Elizabeth, flame-red hair, endures a difficult childhood, mm. mother murdered. Mm. Um, Baelish, perhaps something of a Thomas Seymour figure. <gasps> yes. When Elizabeth was staying with her stepmother, Catherine Parr, and her husband, Thomas Seymour. Seymour very much had designs on the daughter, on Elizabeth. Of course he did, yeah. Ends up coming a cropper, but, you know. Wow. Something of an early thing. And interestingly, another Elizabeth comparison, one of the things that um, they were criticised for in Game of Thrones in Sansa's storyline was when she was raped by Ramsay because that doesn't happen in the books. Right. Mistreated by him, but she isn't actually raped by him. But, I mean, there's loads of stuff that doesn't happen in the books, isn't there? There is, but in terms of the Elizabeth comparison, that does mean that Sansa is therefore technically still a virgin. And Elizabeth, of course, Gloriana, celebrated as the Virgin Queen. Yes. Now, she's a lot of people who've come along the way and really been rather nasty to her, but someone who is very nice and does have her best interest at heart is Brienne of Tarth. Love her. Mentioned a bit Another earlier. powerful woman. Another powerful woman, tall and very strong woman who defies conventions by becoming a warrior. Mm. Initially in the service of Renly Baratheon, mm. then when he's murdered, she ends up serving, uh, serving Caitlin Stark, and she escorts uh, an imprisoned Jamie Lannister to King's Landing. Mm. And they form something of a bond, and that is part of the sort of redemption story for Jamie Lannister, who becomes a better and more noble character. From spending time with her. Spending time with but her. Uh, what I couldn't understand then, uh, I've forgotten, is that why she was escorting Jamie Lannister back to Lannister. Because Caitlin Stark wanted to send him back, and in return, 
they would release her daughters to her because the daughters that she thought, uh, or at least Sansa at least, was still in King's Landing. Yes. So when she hears that Caitlin Stark has died, she fulfills her pledge to protect the daughters because the mm. idea would be that she'd bring the daughters back. So she is determined to find them. She does eventually find Sansa mm. and does then come into Sansa's service and she is then this sort of reliable protective. Now, in terms of historical precedent, the most obvious one is Joan of Arc. <laughs> Brianna's Tarth was uh, known perhaps derogatively by some people, as the Maid of Tarth. Joan of Arc referred to herself as La Pucelle, the Maid. So she is a peasant girl who received visions telling her to help the French defeat the English in the Hundred Years' War. Mm. Then remarkably, not sure which is more remarkable, the fact that she does actually lead the French troops to victory, or indeed the fact that the King of France said, yeah, all right, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But unfortunately for her, she ends up being betrayed, captured and burned by the English. Yeah, that's going <laughs> to that's put a uh, little wedge in <laughs> your CV there. A um, couple of other ones from uh, medieval period. Uh, Philip van Artevelde was a Flemish leader killed in 1382. He had a banner bearer, apparently it was called Big Margot. <laughs> <laughs> that's a special episode right there. And uh, Joanna <laughs> of Flanders apparently rallied her Breton forces for her husband when he was away riding at full armour. Oh, cool. And uh, Edmund Spencer, the Elizabethan poet, in his uh, works Fairy Queen, apparently has a virgin knight called Britomart. Ah, I like Big Margot. Big Margot's the best. Yeah. Sansa's younger sister is Arya Stark. Yeah, she's pretty cool. She goes in a very different journey, unlike is Sansa. Arya or... Arya. I say Arya. I thought it was Al- Aya. There's an R in there, is There's there? definitely an oh, R. Right. Yeah. So I just... Uh, We're learning every <laughs> step of the way. <laughs> Unlike Sansa, she's not interested at all in feminine pursuits. Um, she rather is something of a tomboy. Mm. And her father, Ned Stark, arranges for her to have sword fighting lessons in mm. King's Landing, which proves a rather vital starting point for her because she goes on a completely different journey. After Ned's death, she escapes from King's Landing. Um, by various different means, she ends up with this group called the Faceless Men, with this sort of religious group of assassins. I sort of missed that bit. So this is a pivotal one, which is why I've sort of focused in on this bit rather than other parts of her journey, because a religious group of assassins, but this is where she becomes effectively highly adept as a sort of ninja assassin. Mm. She learns how to be completely quiet, learns how to lose herself, learns how to become effectively other people so that she can sneak into places, mm. gain people's trust, they think I she's someone that. else, and then... Yeah. And uh, she's blinded for a bit. Blinded for a bit, yeah. But yeah, but it's a crucial part in her development because as you see, of course, we've seen, and you've just seen in the most recent episode, those ninja assassination skills proved to be somewhat Mega. significant mm. in the story arc. So actually her story arc seems completely way off everybody else, but actually she is gradually being trained for Good the point. big moment at the end. So Good it doesn't point. come from absolutely nowhere. She's gone on this separate journey that actually makes her the vital She's the key, the, at the end. key yeah. yeah. It's I take it back, I was not annoyed. <laughs> but she had nothing to do with the Game of Thrones particularly. She's way out of the loop on but that. But neither does the um neither does the dead. No, well that's true, yeah. Other than that they could have just killed everybody. Yeah, so she she's she's her role is that storyline. Mm. And of course the face of men effectively it's almost a religion of death. Mm. So the Night King, is, which we'll come to later, is kind of death. I can't believe form. we're this far through and we haven't mentioned the dead. I know, yeah. We're, That's we're the getting next, the, the whole... Sh- oh, 
You know what I was going to say? That's, that's the name of the whole show, The Walking Dead. <laughs> <laughs> that's why it's be. called The West Wing. <laughs> when are we getting uh, to the West? Westeros Wing, you know, with The Walking Dead. All God's the walking sake. and talking dead scenes that they do. <laughs> oh, dear. She's got a kill list, all the people she wants to get vengeance on. Mm. Um, quite a few of them end up being dead anyway because she's out of the loop, but she does... Uh, have one of those key moments where she's on her way back to Winterfell. She kills Walder Frey. Oh, that was lovely. Sons, gets vengeance for the Red Wedding. And she asked them all to drink. Mm. Yeah, that was brilliant. Mm. Now, the faceless men we might compare to assassins. Edward the First. Indeed, the actual real-life assassins. The cult in the 11th century, Muslim uh, group, became particularly prominent during the First Crusade. It's sort of a secret society as well. They've got their sort of ranks and mm. orders and things that they do. Most noted for its young and highly skilled acolytes who murder high-profile figures. So actually not all of the assassins were assassins as such. Uh, okay. That's just yeah. one of the roles. Uh, but they were trained to infiltrate an entourage of somebody, blend in, gain the trust, and then an unseen moment, kill the person and then shoot off. Shoot off unseen. Mm. Which is exactly what Arya is trained to do. Yeah. By the face of men. Edward the First, of course, narrowly evaded death when being attacked by an assassin. But Legend. quite a cool moment. He actually kills the assassin in the Of course he does. That's <laughs> amazing. I mean, I don't understand why that legend has been built up that Eleanor um Sucked the poison out. Yeah. Well, it's very romantic, isn't it? Yes. I mean it it sort of Fits the uh, Disney Chivalry. Sword in the Stone Fox mm. thing. Uh, you know, that cartoon. Sword in the Stone. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> just And Robin Hood, I think you were throwing in Oh, that's well. what I meant. That's what I meant. <laughs> um, and Saladin, the great Muslim lead, apparently ceded to demands from the assassins when they left a note and a dagger on his pillow. Really? Mm. Wow, that's cool. Mm. What, just saying, we want recognition for something. We want X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And presumably, particularly, I'm not sure if, but I think the idea might have been that he was like asleep. So that it wasn't just that he came there the next day and was like, oh, look at that on my pillow. He was actually, woke up with that. I was like, right, they could actually have. They don't always kill. They indicate that they could. Yeah. So it's like, this is what we want. And you now are aware that if we wanted to, we could kill you. That's so much cooler. Mm. Oh. Oh, I was looking at you deep in the eyes then, in thrall. <laughs> that was amazing. Talk about assassins and Edward <laughs> the First. <laughs> oh, dear. Now, lastly, of the main Stark children, apart from Rickard, that you know, doesn't seem to matter. Yeah, at all. who is that? Uh, he's the other son that just Isn't gets, gets killed. Oh, by... Uh, by Ramsay. Ra- anyway, we're not going to bother talking about Rickard. We're going to talk about Bran. Yeah. Brandon. Ned's second son, and actually apparently the first narrator in the book. Oh. Which is, again, apparently one of the reasons that people were really caught when they did read the book, because when he's pushed out the window, mm. you think this is the main character. This is like a young King Arthur or something. And then when he's pushed out, you think, oh, wow, they've mm. right. done away with the main one. Because he spied Jamie and Cersei at Winterfell interacting with each other. <laughs> uh, so Jamie pushes him out of the window. Mm. Uh, he survives, but he's unable to walk. But he does increasingly realise that he has got magic. Yeah. So did he always have that? It seems to come after the accident. I'm not sure if he had it right. before. Um, he has these dreams about like a crow or three-eyed crow showing him mm. things and flying and stuff. So he ultimately realises he could have prophetic visions and he's got the ability to inhabit other creatures. Mm. 
Um, he's a lord of Winterfell in the absence of Rob Stark, but then they are betrayed by Theon Greyjoy, mm. who ends up capturing it on behalf of the Greyjoy family. Yeah, it was never an easy role for him to be a lord of a mm. Winterfell. It didn't sit right. But he did have that lovely old fella. Yes. The Meister, Meister is it? Meister, yeah, Can't played by a uh, quite a famous person. It was sad to see him go. Mm. Um, Bran escapes Winterfell and then hones his various magical powers and eventually he meets and in fact replaces a three-eyed raven mm. who is this guy sort of effectively omniscient who is able to tell him all the history of Winterfell a lot of the secrets of things like Robert's Rebellion and lots of the things about the main characters that mm. we didn't know mm. Bran learns all of it and he also learns about the Night King again more on him later okay uh so it just he does that's when he goes under a tree and replaces the yeah yeah okay okay and, that's and then escapes and that's when we have hold or hold the door yeah oh god that made me cry anyway mm. the Greyjoys yay what about them they are a seafaring culture what's called the Iron Islands yes um they worship their own deity the drowned god and are notorious for raping and pillaging other lands pirates their warships pirates or indeed let's call them what they are. Vikings. <laughs> oh. Scandinavian raiders, the Vikings, of course, who had few natural resources but take to raiding yeah. medieval Europe. Unlike the Vikings, the Greyjoys despise trade. Uh. I think they should just take everything. Mm. Whereas the Vikings actually quite like doing a little bit of settling down and mm. haggling over stuff. Theon, um, after a failed rebellion by his father, grew up as a hostage or effectively a ward at Winterfell. So he was kind of part of the Stark family. Yeah bit of like a brother really to Rob Stark um, but he wanted to prove himself to his father so that's why he takes Winterfell but he's then haunted by the guilt yeah because he doesn't know his father but does know Winterfell yeah, yeah. I the the Iron Islands uh, just they, they they're horrible aren't they it's mm. always crummy weather yeah it's very damp yeah and it always smells of fish yeah and slimy yeah it's like being in the the bottom of a, a fishing vessel mm you do get to spend a lot of time on boats. Yeah, or or ropes between islands. Yes. Ropes, bridges. Bridges, yeah. Mm. It's quite common in Europe for royal or noble children to be brought up as wards mm. in other households. Indeed, Athelstan, the Saxon king, fostered lots of royal princes across Europe. Mm. And he was a ward of um, Ethling. Of uh, Ethelfled, Lady of the Mercians. Yeah. Yeah. One day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Perhaps with Theon, again, we mentioned him earlier, we might see little elements of the Duke of Clarence. He was the brother of Edward IV and Richard III. Oh, yeah. In that he betrays his brothers for a chance at personal glory. Like Clarence, Theon does return to the fold. Clarence executed when he turned traitor a second time, but Theon does get to have a mm. heroic death where he redeems himself. Oh, yeah, doesn't he? Yeah. Already done. Mm. Now, Theon's sister effectively replaces him mm. back in the Iron Islands. This is Yara. Greyjoy, although she's actually called Asher in the books. Oh, weird. Why don't did they change Not sure why they changed the name. Um, so she's the only surviving child of their father. Um, she ends up basically being the son. She leads men into battle. Um, is very effective, capturing castles, all that sort of thing. Another strong woman. Uh, claims the throne when her father dies, but faces opposition because she is a woman, and it ends up instead going to her psychotic uncle Euron so Yara Greyjoy her story perhaps reminds us a bit of the Empress Matilda who mentioned earlier the daughter of Henry I who Henry only had one legitimate son William Adeline who died in the White Ship disaster and so he named his daughter 
Matilda as his heir. Mm. But then when he dies, her cousin Stephen takes the throne. It seems like people aren't quite ready uh, yeah. for, for yeah. uh, a female ruler. For Matilda, the war is ended when her son Henry is accepted as Stephen's heir yeah. instead of her. So again, with the arrow, we don't know whether mm. how that's all going to play out. Another one I came across was uh, Jean de Clisson. Uh, who is the widow of a French nobleman during the Hundred Years' War, beheaded for treachery by the French. So she was quite irked about this. Mm. Carried his head from Paris to Brittany, <laughs> showed it to her son, and then swore revenge. Oh, that's quite a burden. So she becomes a pirate. Huh. She has a ship, which she calls My Revenge, and she uh, captures various French ships and castles, usually killing everybody apart from one man that like the Vikings would send off to go and tell everybody what she's done what happens to her she gets nicknamed the lioness of Brittany yeah and uh, she eventually settles down and retires and marries uh, a deputy of Edward III success <laughs> so they normally in this sort of thing when you hear it you think oh this is this is just going to end really badly but it, it is possible just to have your revenge and then <laughs> fight, marry That's again pasture yeah, yeah. Mm, fine hmm. There's so, a lesson, lesson for us lesson all there. Yeah. <laughs> so these are the main Stark children, but of course there is another one who is part of the family that we've not mentioned yet. Mm-hmm. Jon Snow! He is set up as Ned Stark's illegitimate son yeah. that came out of uh, Robert's Rebellion. Uh, he grows up as a very impressive fighter and leader who ends up, of course, being named King of the North. Mm. Um, now, William the Conqueror, as we mentioned earlier, was also a bastard, mm. but is recognised as heir to his father's duchy. And uh, is also a great military leader who goes on to conquer England. Yeah. So a little bit of a parallel. Oh, I see. Yes. Yes. Yes, Yes. I'm aware of Jon Snow. (laughs) Yes, I am also aware of William the Conqueror. Oh, they are similar. You are right. Jon Snow goes on to join the Night's Watch. So he doesn't pursue uh, life at Winterfell and he doesn't pursue court or go off with Rob instead. The Night's Watch. Why is that? Why does he go to that? It one? seems to be he sort of has a bit of a calling for it. His uncle Benjen, Benji Stark, is also ah. in the Night Watch. He seems to think, and it's also perhaps a route for him because as a bastard, he never feels like he quite fits in. Because it's a punishment for others, isn't it? For some, it's a punishment. So the Night's Watch is a brotherhood of men who garrison the Wall, mm. which is a great big wall which guards the North and indeed Westeros from wildlings and indeed all sorts of other monsters. Now. I that will come to soon. Yes, but I used to think the wildlings were the problem. Well, I mean, they are a problem. Until they decide they're not. Yeah. Mm. Until John decides that they're not. Mm. Um, so we've got, as I said, the wildlings are free folk and by legend these monsters. Um, but the Night's Watch, they all have to reject all titles, all cuts, uh, cut all ties to family and politics and become celibate. Monks. Well, sort of monks, very similar to the Knights Templar. Yes. They were a chaste military brotherhood established during the Crusades, uh, initiatives to protect pilgrims going to Jerusalem, Christian Mm. pilgrims going to Jerusalem. Uh, They took a lifelong vow of poverty, chastity, and obedience. Also, like the Knights Watch, which is the key motivator for a lot of people to join, you are absolved of all sins upon Mm. entering. So it's kind of a clean slate. So you get a lot of criminals in the Knights Watch, particularly. Mm. Um, also, both organisations had a sort of three-tiered structure. The Night's Watch had rangers, builders, and stewards. Mm. And uh, the Templars have knights, stewards, and chaplains. Hmm. What's the steward? Like admin. admin. Yeah, admin. <laughs> uh, now, there's a French writer, Maurice Drouin, 
who in the 1950s started a series called Les Wach Maudits, or, or the Accursed Kings. Right. And this was focusing on the disastrous period of French history, i.e. the Hundred Years' War, that comes after Philippe IV destroys the Templar Order. And apparently these books were a big influence on Game of Thrones. Ah. That's quite a fan. Now, when we hear the wall and we hear keeping out rowdy people from the north, we immediately, of course, think of Hadrian's Wall and Scottish people. Yes, we do. Uh, Hadrian's Wall built in 122 uh, to keep the Scots out of Roman England mm. by the Emperor Hadrian, obviously. Mm. Somewhat smaller than the wall in Game of Thrones, Hadrian's Wall was about 80 miles long, 8 foot th- Eight foot thick and 15 foot high. Mm. The one in Game of Thrones is 300 miles long and 700 feet tall. That's big. It is quite big. Is it, do we know how thick? Uh, actually, if we've got any mathematicians amongst us, <laughs> can we work out the how the proportions that it would be if it were the same of, uh, as uh, yeah. Hadrian's? Rather than just a sheer sheet of ice <laughs> yeah. going up 700 Like glass. Feet. Just take someone to just ting, yeah. tap it and it all comes down. Uh, there was also a second Roman wall built in Scotland, the Antonine Wall, mm. slightly further north, uh, though it was abandoned soon afterwards. And actually, Eris the Mad King, Eris Targaryen, also proposed building a second wall, yeah. but never got around to it. Yeah. Now, Hadrian's Wall does seem to be one of the pivotal influences on George R. R. Martin in terms of bringing all of this to life. He visited in the 1980s, and he said, we climbed to the top of Hadrian's Wall, not particularly. <laughs> <laughs> I went twice my height. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked north and tried to imagine what it was like to be a Roman soldier stationed there in the first century at the end of the known world, staring at these distant hills and wondering what lived there and what might come out of it. You were looking off the end of the world, protecting the civilized world against whatever might emerge from those trees. And then he thought, what if the legionaries were facing something worse than barbarians? The what? White Walkers. Oh. Now, Jon Snow is groomed as a future Lord Commander of the Night's Watch by uh, Gia Mormont, the current Lord Commander. Jon saves him when a dead body is reanimated mm. and attacks him. It's what's known as a white. Mm. So apparently in the north, at this point, they have to burn the bodies, or the far north, because otherwise there's a danger. Mm. They'll come back and attack you. They go north of the wall to investigate the disappearance of John's uncle and also reports of more sightings of these whites. Mm. Uh, now, Geol, the Lord Commander, is killed in a mutiny and John ends up being captured by the wildlings, mm. or the free folk, as they call themselves. These are unruly people who live beyond the wall, masters at surviving the harsh northern winters. They've got their own language, their own culture, but they don't have any kind of centralised government or authority. So you've got lots of, sort of smaller tribes or clans, mm. which also... Similar to sort of particularly medieval, early medieval Scotland. Oh, yeah. Clear parallel. We've got the Romans against the Picts or the Scots. Scots is a diverse group, particularly the Highlanders, who speak Gaelic. Mm. So actually lowland Scotland speaks Scots, which is kind of a mixture of English and mm. their own dialect. But the wildlings speak the old tongue mm. as well as the common tongue. So perhaps you see the Highlanders, Gaelic, wildlings, old tongue. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Both regarded with horror. Mm. south of the wall reputation being wild and barbaric raiding the border for slaves yeah now John wins the trust of a chap called Mance Ryder now he is the very rare thing north of the wall who is a leader of the wildlings he's actually managed to unite them all under his rule all these different tribes and groups all coming together under him and he's got a plan to get them 
the other side of the wall because he knows that there's trouble. Oh, uh, right. Does it, how do you know that? Is it just... Well, experience, it's all, I guess. They've, yeah. they've encountered it. Uh, John convinces them that he's part of them. Now, he accompanies them back over the wall, but he then absconds back to the Night's Watch. Yeah, that's all right, isn't it? Well, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mance Rider, we might perhaps compare to Vercingetorix for the Gauls. He's an Asterix, isn't he? He's an Asterix, but he's a real person as well. He's able to be this sort of last leader that brings them together. Or perhaps William Wallace for the Scots. Time of disunity for the Scots are all falling apart under Edward I. There he is again. Mm. Wallace manages to unite them with a great victory. Goes down to York. Like Mance Rider, ultimately ends up being quite brutally executed. Mm. Mm. So it shows you quite how important Edward I is to English history, doesn't it? This it how often up. he comes up. Yeah. yeah. Or just that when we're talking about incredibly violent, unpleasant people, <laughs> <laughs> somehow. <laughs> now, the biggie that we've not talked about somehow until this point, as you said, are the White Walkers. Mm. Initially, we just encounter those white, the reanimated corpses. But north of the wall, as I said, bodies have to be burnt to their eyes again. But these people are led by what are called white walkers. They are able to reanimate the dead. So they, I think, are not actually dead themselves, but they're, they're sort of other being, mm. in a way. Completely white, sort of... Blue eyes. Blue-eyed ice men. Mm. And are incredibly difficult to kill. Mm. It turns out that the only way to kill them is with a substance called dragon glass. Ah, oh, I thought it was Valerian steel. And they're all led by the Night King. Mm. or the Knights King right. I might term him um, and it's not really clear what he's all about he never speaks in the series but ultimately Bran reveals to us that he essentially just wants eternal night so basically he just kills people and then they are reanimated as part of his sort of zombie army mm. so he's got this increasing power because obviously every time we fight him anyone that dies is now on his side yeah yeah, really, really tricky. That it's like a Hydra. We were saying earlier. Mm. Um, oh, we'll come on to that battle. Mm. So he is planning basically just to wipe out everybody. Yeah, cool. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which all goes back to the first men and the children of the forest, which we see in one of Bran's dreams, because we see one of the first men having dragon glass inserted into his chest, mm. and he, I think, becomes the Night King. Oh, so, so he's Night always King been there. Is established as a weapon of the Children of the Forest against men. So the idea is that he's going to kill everybody. So he's almost like he's been set up to... So to bring the Children of the Forest, age of the Children of the Forest back. Mm, or at least, well, just, well, for him, he just wants to kill all... Doesn't need a motive, does he? No. Now, for all of this, George R. R. Martin drew on a lot of uh, Celtic folklore. Mm. I'm not sure the pronunciation of this. The seed? Seed? Don't know. But there were supernatural beings in can I say Celtic folklore living in the land of the dead who form the sloth seed or fairy horde, this army of the dead. Right. In effect. The Vikings believed in the walking dead, um, people who were cursed to walk the earth if they weren't given The Walking Dead. Yeah. Uh, if they weren't given a proper burial, mm. then they would do this. Um and they believed in they could be turned into draugar, so they could rip people apart and then effectively convert them into other right. zombie types. Ragnarok, the sort of great legendary story of the defeat of the Viking gods sees the world plague by this incredibly long winter mm. which is a great thing that Starks say winter is coming an endless mm. winter uh, Loki the god lives among animals taking on their consciousness using his third eye ah uh, I over. see yeah mm. and in medieval Europe there's this legend as well Revenants as it's known the dead rising mm. and walking around 
Uh, there's one story, Geoffrey Burton related, two peasants in Derbyshire trying to free serfdom. This position, so they flee to a nearby village but die. And their bodies are returned home for burial, but they're later seen walking around carrying their coffins and then banging on people's houses. And then everybody in the village starts to die of this mysterious disease, and when they dig them up, they find that um, although they're still there, the sort of shroud over their faces has been bleeding. Weird. What's so they they, what have they got? Chop them up, cut the heads off, and then take out the hearts and burn them, and the evil crow spirit flew off, and all was well. <laughs> It's funny back in the day, wasn't it? Yeah. Anyway, these guys are the real bad guys. Certainly, mm. short as far as Joe Sno- Joe Snow, John Snow is concerned, this is what it's all about. Who cares what's going on in King's Landing with the Game of Thrones? If we don't defeat these guys, there's no Game of Thrones. There's no Game of Thrones. Mm. We're all done for. So he's going to have to go south, back into Main Westeros, and find some allies, get everyone to stop fighting, bring their armies north. Yeah. Daenerys Targaryen. Left out quite a major character for most of the yeah. series. But again, because of the way that the story arc works, again, she's kind of separate from everybody for quite a long time. Mm. That's why I thought we'd leave Only her. Really, until this last... No, series, series seven. Yeah, well, gradually a few people start coming into her mm. sphere of influence, but generally... Yeah, like... Um, Tyrion. Tyrion, yeah. Mm. Uh, so she is the daughter of the Mad King Eris. Mm-hmm. Uh, goes into exile with her brother Viserys, who sees himself as the rightful king. Mm. Um, he marries her to Carl Drogo, the mm. Dothraki, this nomadic people, in the hope of gaining their army to invade Westeros. He is not respected by them, and ultimately Drogo um, mocks him and gives him his crown that he demands by pouring molten gold onto his head and killing him. It's not a way to... Uh, like ingratiate yourself into your new family is it it's not indeed uh, and it is one with historical precedent uh, an ally of Julius Caesar Crassus was captured in battle by the Parthians in 53 BC mm. and he was force fed molten gold yeah and uh, in 260 Roman Emperor Valerian may have suffered the same fate when he was captured wow wow gosh it's quite a scene isn't it mm. he looks like um, did you ever have that uh, um, topping for ice cream that when you were a kid, it was liquid, and then you put it on the ice cream, and it hardened. Uh, it does ring a bit of a bell, yeah. And uh, the um, the cap to <laughs> the um, to the bottle yeah. was um, in the shape of sort of liquid with droplets, uh-huh. and it looked just like uh, molten. Had, yeah, yeah. Someone had put a cap of um, hardening chocolate on his head. Hmm. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> The Dothraki, this very fierce and feared nomadic warriors, always on their horses, which are central to their culture. They actually worship a horse deity. Mm. Wear their hair very long. Apparently it goes uncut until they are defeated in battle. Oh, right. So the longer your hair, the mm. more effective you are. Inhabit vast grasslands of Essos, so we're over the... Mongols! See, Well, indeed, the Mongols, nomadic people who plundered and pillaged Central Asia in the 13th, 14th century. Most famous leader, Genghis Khan. Yeah. Uh, also executed somebody with molten gold. Did he? Apparently, yeah. Oh, there we go. Like the Dothraki, they use curved swords. Easier on horseback mm. than the straight ones. Another nomadic people on horses are the Huns. Mm-hmm. Most notably Attila the Hun, devastates Central Asia during the end of the Roman Empire. He was perhaps the most famous or infamous leader. And he also gained, or thought he was going to gain, a, quote, civilised princess, because the Romans promised him 
Oh, right. Sister of the Emperor. Didn't see it through, and he didn't take very kindly to it. <laughs> uh, yeah. They sacked Rome. Mm. Mm. And also, like Karl Droger, also died quite a mundane death, drunkenly choked on his own blood after a nosebleed. Oh, that's rubbish. How did Drogo die? So he got an infected wound, and then uh, Daenerys got this magic woman to do a spell to save him. Mm. And the spell kills her unborn baby, and Karl Drogo is saved, but just in a sort of catatonic state, so she ends up putting him out of his misery. Um, but on the positive side, she does successfully hatch three dragon eggs in fire. <laughs> it, it's ridiculous when you say it like that, isn't it? To which she is completely impervious mm. as a proper Targaryen, dragonborn, unlike Viserys. Mm. She is proper Targaryen, proper dragonborn, mother of dragons. She's got three little baby dragons. And they're properly cute at this stage. They are. They do ultimately go into proper, fighty, big, yeah, scary dragons. That's the thing, Game of Thrones, the fantasy stuff. The very first scene in the TV series, I think, is White Walkers. Is it? But then they don't appear for ages, and there's actually not a lot of fantasy for a while. Yeah. They sort of tone it down a bit. It gets bigger as it goes along with the dragons and the white and everything, but they start just... That's what I mean. It's almost like two... Tricked you. Yeah, there's two different programs. There's... It's The Walking Dead and uh, Tudors, Mm. or, or equivalent. Another nomadic people. Mm. Uh, the Scythians, going back even further, this is to sort of 900 to 200 BC, Herodotus claimed they drank the blood of those that they killed, mm. like the Dothraki seen as barbarians by those they terrorised, and also they worshipped and even as part of, sort of ritual ceremonies ate their horses. Mm. Of course, the sacrifice ritual also happens for most people, and Daenerys, one of the ways that she really shows that she belongs, is when she, in a ritual, eats and doesn't vomit a near-beating heart. Mm, nice. Yeah. Uh, also, Scythian swords and bows are curved. Indeed. Carl Drogo is dead, so she goes off with her loyal knight, Jorah Mormont, son of the old Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. Oh, yeah. And she tries to find support for an army with limited success. She's rejected from a place called Carth, so instead she sails to Slaver's Bay, where we've got all these powerful, powerful people, but this huge sort of slavery culture, lots mm. of people enslaved. She's joined, though, by a former Kingsguard Joffrey, Sir Barristan Selmy. Who's that? Um, he's the old guy, white hair with a beard. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Granddad and Derry Girls now. <laughs> um, he served very loyally under numerous kings uh, and is esteemed as the greatest knight in Westeros. Oh, I know where this is going. Sacked by Joffrey, so he decides he's going to follow Daenerys to actually follow a good yeah. king or queen for once rather than just the one that's in power. But he... Direct match, really, is William the Marshal. Marshal. Uh, epitome of medieval chivalric uh, knightly culture. Served four or five, if you include the young Henry monarchs, in the Plantagenet era from Henry II to Henry III. Always stayed loyal to the king he was serving, regardless of his treatment, or indeed regardless of fortune. Even when they're on their last legs, about to be overthrown, he sticks with them, mm. wins the respect of the next ones, and he's celebrated as the greatest knight of the age. Yeah. Quite right. And one of the most fun anecdotes we learned about William the Marshal when we did a special episode on him is that when he was a little boy, during the anarchy, he was taken prisoner by Stephen. Mm. And when William's father refused to comply with what he'd agreed to do and Stephen threatens to kill William, uh, the father replied that he still had the anvils and hammers to produce (laughs) even finer ones. Yeah. I doubt it, though, given how he turned out. Well, indeed. Now, at the Red Wedding... 
there's a moment where Caitlin Stark tries to stop what's going on and tries to stop Rob being killed by taking a knife to the throat of Walter Frey's wife. Mm. So he says, stop or I'll kill her, to which Walter Frey replies with a shrug, I'll find another. Yeah, he's, he's very good, that character, isn't he? But again, quite a similar yeah. tone and line. Mm. You wonder whether that was a uh, a known influence on him. Daenerys conquers uh, Astapor and then liberates its slaves. And she moves on to take uh, Marine. Now, she had kicked Jorah out when it turned out that he'd betrayed her a bit, but he comes back and brings her Tyrion, mm. who was run off after killing Tywin. Mm. And then she accepts Tyrion into her service and he becomes her hand. Mm. In effect, her main advisor. And she's now got an army of ex-slaves who are known as the Unsullied. They're cool. The fearless, utterly loyal to her, uh, and also eunuchs. Mm. Um, they've been compared partly to the Spartans, who this famed Greek warrior is notable for their standoff at Thermopylae, where 300 Spartans took on Spartans took on hundreds of thousands of Persians for about 36 hours. It's incredible, that, isn't it? The Unsullied apparently had an equivalent, not in the show, but in Game of Thrones yeah. history against the Dothraki. Oh, right. Which has been quite a battle. So. Yeah. Uh, unlike the eunuchs unsullied, the Spartans at Thermopylae apparently had to have fathered children in order to be allowed to go because they knew it was effectively a suicide mission, so they wanted to make sure that all the family lines would continue. Right. So you could only go if you'd got someone. Okay, or or like line. something worth fighting for. Mm. That's interesting. Mm. But the other one are the Mamluks. Which is a oh, Muslim slave army, yeah. acknowledged influence again by George R. R. Martin. Um, this sort of powerful warrior slave caste, particularly sort of Europe, but also the Levant, Turkey, mm. all that sort of area. And that was around since the ninth to nineteenth century. Mm. Mm, amazing. Mm. Now, Daenerys is nearly assassinated when uh, at Marine there's a reopening of a fighting pit, where you get people fighting each other in an auditorium mm-hmm. for the uh, baying crowds. Don't know where that's from. Like the gladiators of ancient Rome. Uh, but thankfully, she escapes on a dragon, which is the first time she's ever actually managed to fly. Um, so she escapes on one dragon, but then falls off and finds herself back amongst the Dothraki. Mm. And the Dothraki say, hang on a minute, widows are meant to just go off and all live together in a hut. Mm. So you should go and live in a hut. <laughs> <laughs> She so doesn't like the idea. But she goes off to a hut. No, she says, no, you should all come and fight for me and fight my war in Westeros. Mm. And they don't like this and they threaten her. Mm. So one, she goes to chat with them in the temple, being a fiery dragon lady, she burns it down. They're all killed, but of course she is impervious to fire, so she walks out completely unharmed. Everyone hates her then? Everyone is so impressed by her power that the Dothraki accept her as their Khaleesi, their leader, and she now has both Dothraki and the Unsullied and flying dragons. It's good. Conquers the rest of Slaver's Bay, uh, but she gets a visit from Yara Greyjoy, who pledges her allegiance. Who's that again? Uh, the Ironborn woman, Theon's sister. She? I don't remember that. Also, Elena Terrell and the uh, women, the Sands from Dawn, also pledge their allegiance. So we really get this massive female alliance at this point. Dawn has gone very quiet, hasn't it? Yes, yeah, so those ones don't go too well. As I said, Elena ends up uh, poisoning, taking poison when Jamie and the Lannisters invade her castle and the Dawn women get captured by Euron Greyjoy. So that's tidied up? Seems to be tidied up. I think the mother's still alive, but I'm not sure that they're coming back into it. Because I liked 
the Dawn Man who fought the mountain. Oberon, yeah. And with her ships, with her armies, finally Daenerys makes sail for Westeros. Oh, it's her ships? Well, she's now got ships, yeah. And yeah. also Yara provides some ships as well. Mm. Now, some historical comparisons for Daenerys herself. Mm. Weirdly, given that she's this incredibly strong female figure, the most quoted reference point for Daenerys is Henry VII. Why? First of the Tudor dynasty. Well, he's the last surviving member of his house, in his case, the Lancastrians. Mm. He's forced to go into exile in his youth, as Daenerys is. Mm. Um, she is the mother of dragons. His <sighs> banner is the red dragon, the Welsh dragon. Oh, yes. And then, of course, he comes back with you know mercenary troops that he's gathered in Europe. Some others. Alexander the Great mm. conquers numerous peoples in across oh, Asia yeah. Yeah. and Eastern Europe, which is sort of the equivalent of Essos and mm, yeah, the, the world, really. Yeah. It's a completely different look and world, really, much of Danny's story. It's very dry, isn't it? It's a deserty. Dry, it's a deserts. Mm. Mm. Another one that coming back to Elizabeth I, daughter of a deranged tyrannical king. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a very uncertain upbringing, mm-hmm. initially overshadowed by her brother, who one assumes will be the king for ages and ages. Yeah, and is killed. Is killed. Oh, well, dead. dies, but yeah. you know. Alleged dalliances with various men. Robert mm. Dudley, Earl of Essex for Elizabeth. Dario, John Snow for Daenerys. Mm. And again, the Empress Matilda. Why? Well, the same thing of the challenge of a woman trying to succeed. She's, in a way, seen mm. as the rightful heir. Mm. In uh, Dance of the Dragons, there's a woman, Rhaenys Targaryen, who became known as the Queen Who Never Was. So there was a civil war where the king's eldest daughter, by his first wife, claims the throne, but is challenged by his son from his second wife. Mm. And ultimately, the Targaryens decide that women shouldn't really rule. Wessex? Well, it's a bit of a Wessexy thing, yeah. isn't it? Um, and Rhaenys dies in battle, apparently, on the back of a dragon. Mm. Which is not an impossible fate. Oh, God. Daenerys, will she be the king, the queen that never was? Yeah. Die on the back of a dragon? Yeah. Will she be a Matilda? But also, will she be a Matilda? Will it be that she has a child and it's the child that people could get behind? Yeah. Except as a solution. And then watch the following series that is about the child. Mm. Well, what is going to happen next? Mm. Predictions! So, to bring it all up to date, current situation. Jon Snow goes south to try and get support, meets up with Daenerys, mm. is resistant at first, but ultimately bends the knee. Accepts her as the queen. Accepts that she is his queen. And she agrees to take her vast army up to the wall rather than dealing with Cersei. Mm. Cersei also says she'll send an army, but just doesn't. Mm. John and Daenerys become lovers, mm-hmm. but then, of course, learn that they are, in fact, related. How far has this lover time gone? Um, it's strongly suggested that it is consummated. Oh, right, okay. Didn't know that. So it's not impossible that she could be pregnant. Right. But of course, for Targaryens, that's all—that's all above board, isn't it? Part of what you do, because what we discover is that Rhaegar Targaryen, mm. her eldest brother, the nice one, mm. who was accused of abducting Lyanna Stark, in actual fact, had his first marriage annulled and married Lyanna. And Lyanna wasn't murdered by him, but she died in childbirth. And when Ned finds her, Ned Stark finds his sister. 
she tells him to take in the child and never to tell Robert because he knows that Robert Baratheon would kill him. So does that mean that um, Dragon Lady is Rob Stark's aunt? Uh, Jon Snow. Jon Snow is... She is his aunt. Aunt. Indeed. Because Jon Snow is not Ned's bastard. He's actually Ned's nephew. He's the son of Rhaegar Targaryen and Lyanna Stark. He is actually called Aegon Targaryen, I think. I'll check. And he, thus, as the son of Rhaegar, is the legitimate claimant to the throne. He outranks Daenerys. But he's a... He's, um... Uh, consummated an affair with his aunt. Yes. Right. But it's interesting when he tells... And he finds out about this and tells Daenerys. Absolutely no qualms from her about the fact that he's there for her blood and his nephew. But it's like, but that mean you outrank me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that, yeah. So that's all that she's particularly interested in. Anyway, they don't get much time to think about that because the vast majority of the surviving characters, including all of the Starks, apart from Rickon, who's dead all converge at Winterfell, mm. ready to take on the Night King and his army. Sans- uh, Cersei doesn't go, but Jaime does mm. go, for which incurs Cersei's wrath. And we have, which you finally can talk about now, we've just watched, in the long night, the Battle of Winterfell. And the night before, that a, a fantastic scene set around the fire with all these people that were fighting each other. But what happens is, epic battle against the Night King, the Dothraki are wiped out in this sort of suicidal cavalry charge right at the start. Mm. The Unsullied seem to largely sacrifice themselves to cover a retreat back inside mm. the castle. Jon and Daenerys battle the Night King. They're on dragons, but he's also got a dead dragon that he killed off Daenerys. Yeah. And he uses that to break through the wall. He is knocked off the dragon, but proves impervious to the fire of a dragon. All seems lost, particularly when he raises up all of the people that have died for the goodies, mm. raises them up as whites to fight against them. All seems lost. And he goes into the, oh, what's it called? The Forbidden Foresty bit. Godswood, mm. where Bran has been waiting, because Bran has all of the knowledge of humanity. And if the Night King wants to eradicate that, then you start with Bran. Bran mm. is the one that knows everything kill him. Theon has been guarding him, and he receives his redemption from Bran before then charging into the Night King who promptly kills him. Yes. Night King approaches Bran. They have a little look at each other. We're not sure what they're thinking. We're also no. not sure what Bran was doing when there's a moment when he just shuts down the conversation with Theon. He's like, I'm going to go away now. Yeah. He goes off and has some kind of vision where he becomes a crow and flies towards the Night King. Yeah. We don't know what he does and what happens. Mm. It looks like it's all about to end. The Night King gets out his sword to kill him and then suddenly from absolutely nowhere... Behind him is jumping Arya mm. with a knife, a dagger that had been used to try and kill uh, Bran right back in the first series, and which he gives to Arya in the wood, saying, no, you will need this. Oh, yes. And it's that night. The Night King hadn't heard her. She snuck up on him, but he turns and catches her by the neck just as she's about to yeah. stabby stabby. Yeah. But then she's got this move, which we've seen her in previous episodes practicing, where she drops it from one hand catches it in the other. I don't remember practicing it. She does it against um, Brienne of Tarth. They have a little um, scene where they're sort of training fighting and she whips out a little knife from nowhere. And oh, That's brilliant, isn't it? it? I love that. Stabs the Night King pretty much in the place where the Children of the Forest pushed in the glass ah. initially. He cracks, smashes, obliterated, 
And what they've learnt is that if you kill a white walker, then all of the whites that he's raised will also die. Uh. So the Night King, who starts all of them, everybody, all of the whites, all of the white walkers, dead. Job done. Job done. But what's going to happen next? Cersei has been sitting pretty. She's played King's it Landing. well. She's still got her army as the Golden Company and you're on the pirate. Yeah, so she's fine because the White Walkers have killed everyone else off. But we've still got Daenerys and Jon with at least one, if not possibly two, dragons. Mm. We've got Arya who can disguise herself as anybody, sneak in and kill somebody. Mm-hmm. And we've also got the sometimes unreliable momentum of narrative in that Cersei should be punished for all of her misdeeds, not being on the right side of fighting the Night King. No. And yet, Game of Thrones does like to subvert the traditional... Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Cersei wins. It could happen. The only thing is it would feel like too much of an anticlimax. Yeah, a waste of ten years. Yeah. Um, Particularly after this. It's a danger. They've got three episodes to follow that. They've got, yes, and those... Spent so long preserving Jon Snow, who was a nobody character for so mm. long, and then finding out that he has got that line. A show that's invested so much in the debate and the mythology. If you don't see any of it through... What's the point in and any it's of it? Just, yeah. No, she was trying to kill, so she killed. Cersei's got more diplomatic sense, and thus she's worked it out. She wins. Mm. It almost felt like it wasn't for anything. Yeah. Like um, Skyfall. When the whole thing was... Oh, with M. You've got to protect M. Didn't. Hmm. Well, what about history? What could history predict for us? Ooh. Some of the things we've said. Cersei. Perhaps doesn't look great for her, because if she is Margaret of Anjou, which we've seen a strong mm. thing there, Margaret of Anjou ends up losing everything. Her husband killed, children are killed. She ends up being sent off into a rather miserable, penniless exile. Yeah, not good. All by nobody. Isabella of France, who overthrows her husband and becomes sort of ruler, but ultimately is retired by her son, mm. doesn't have anything much going for her. There's not a lot of not a lot of precedent for a Cersei type to no. win. No, no. Someone will always get her, and you wonder: will she be defeated properly in battle, or will it be something very grim? There's been an awful lot about all the strong women in Game of Thrones. Would it be a typically sort of dark twist to go back and have, I don't know, like Euron betray her and kill her and try to take the throne? Yeah, because she's not a warrior. She's never been on a battlefield. Mm. She's got to die, if she does die, in a sort of slightly subversive way. But In the corridors of power. Yeah. A knife in the back or a poison or something treacherous. or. But given that that's all that's left now... Mm. That's not very... I've wondered for a while if it would be Jamie kills her. Oh. A lot of people are saying it'll be Arya with Jamie's face. Oh. Yes, that's clever. Although, th- it's because it's the only thing left, it's st- an assassination might be a bit anticlimactic. Or mm. well, maybe if she seems like she's won. Just at the moment. And then Arya. Yeah. Because she's on the list. She is on the list. She's the only one left on the list. Is she? Oh, it's got to be her. It's <laughs> got to be Arya. It's got to, and Arya then should have some sort of incredible role mm. in society after that, after basically saving the day. We've got Daenerys, who for a long time has seemed like 
the proper, the rightful queen mm. by primogeniture. We now learn that she isn't. Mm. And technically, John has got the better claim. But, you know, is Daenerys and Elizabeth the first? Mm. It's going to be wise. A lot of people talk about whether she's going to go evil. Yeah. Like her father. An interesting thing that if she is Henry the Seventh, could John be her Elizabeth of York? Because technically, Elizabeth of York, as the daughter of Edward the Fourth, has a better claim to the throne than Henry the Seventh. Oh, just marry. Mm. But she still was the one. He, Henry, still was the one who was actually the ruler. Mm. But he sorts out the Yorkist bit by marrying the one that's got the best claim. Could it be the reverse? Yeah. Could Daenerys be the queen, but marry her nephew? <laughs> Yeah, well, he seems happier up in the north. He doesn't really want to be king, I don't think. No, no. My uh, partner is long being championing the cause of Sansa. Thinks that she's going to come out on top. How? Well, that's the thing. I can't quite see how she would actually become queen. Yeah. I mean, a bloodbath, I suppose, in which lots of people are killed and then... It has been known. Cersei's executed and then... A lot of people respect Sansa. Mm. And she's learned. She's learned from Cersei, ironically, of course. Yeah. A lot yeah, of the yeah. dissembling and Could that sort work. of thing. And we've got Tyrion. Yeah. They'd make quite a good Yeah, if they did then partnership marry. of some kind. Then there's a Lannister still on the mm. throne. And then we have the Elizabeth the First link coming back in. Perhaps perhaps she doesn't marry, perhaps she will go the Elizabeth the First, although she's married twice. <laughs> <laughs> but perhaps she will go that line, not marry anybody and just be Yeah. Her own queen. Oh, it's exciting, Graham. Anyway, let us know what well, let us know what you think. You've not very long before the series ends, yeah, but true. let us know if you can think of any other historical precedents or links or things like that. Anything we've missed, any other things you could say. Contact us on social media, Twitter and Instagram. We are at RexFactorPod. Like us on Facebook. Email RexFactorPodcast at Hotmail.com. If you want to support the podcast, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe or indeed any other podcast service, Stitcher, Spotify, all of that. It's very helpful if you could do that. Thank you. If you really like what you hear and you want to hear more, you can join the Privy Council, donate monthly, do some crowdfunding. You will get, at any level, the access to the Privy Chamber bonus podcast that we record after each of our Mm -hmm. main episodes. We don't do one for the specials like today. And and at other levels, you get access to our special episodes that are usually paid for, mugs, T-shirts, all sorts of fun things. It works. And we have some new Privy Councillors to welcome. Oh, hello. Brad Davis. Hello. Freaky Doug. <laughs> Paduka007. My kind of person. Ollie Roll. Gabriella Cat. Nat Jackson. C. Guy. Kwitty. Tom Sharpie. Emily Hyde. Haley. Maria Panicelli and Gerard Murphy. Arise one and all. Thank you so much for helping us keep on podcasting. And thank you very much for listening to this Game of Thrones special episode. As we said, next time normal service will be resumed with the consorts of England back to the Anglo-Saxons and Elfgifu of Shaftesbury. I look forward to delving back into that Saxon world. It might it might seem quite um Quite, quiet, 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 and sedate. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, dragons and all that. See you next time. Cheerio.